This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and uh, we've got a great couple of episodes for you today. We are continuing the trend of uh, two episodes in one day, um, longer listening time. I feel like it's also a little more selective, right? Like you can pick the ones you want to listen to, how much of each one kind of becomes more of a, uh, um, I don't know, choose your own adventure, if you will. Um, So on that note, we have two guests today. Um, weird foothill guys who some of you may know some of you may not know um, so his story his background the whole nine is uh is out here is on this upcoming episode here uh, and then we have Stuart Winchester Stuart is the host and founder of uh, storm skiing journal and podcast um, the storm is one of the best news outlets I think in skiing right now um, he's very direct he's a very prepared interviewer um, he has a great website. The newsletter is uh, is his thing. He mentions a couple times. He's just got great info and great access um, to some of the best minds in skiing when it comes to ski resort marketing, ski resorts, um, lifts. The dude is very interesting. He does. He kind of exists in a slightly different lane than a lot of the other ski podcasts. So if this is for you, um, Stewart's got the show. Um, before we jump into those episodes, we got quite a few housekeeping items, um, and we just have a lot going on these days, which is really cool, and I'm excited. Like, snow's starting to fall, like, in some areas. I drove home in gross mess the other day, and it was uh, it was exciting. Like, driving through a gross mess is what I do, um, and it's what we do here in New England, uh, so that's that's just part of the deal. Um. Yeah, so a few things. One, uh, we have some sponsors for you first. Um, so the lovely people at Cannon Mountain are back this year as sponsors of the show. Um, if you don't know already, Cannon is like, Cannon's my spot. I love being at Cannon. I think the vibe there is amazing. Some of the best skiing you can get, like truly, um, in New England. And that's not a paid ad. That's like, that's for real. It's actually some of the best skiing in New England. And every time I go there, um, I feel like it's a place where you can just belong and skiing is like people go there to ski. So they're not there for the frills. They're not there for the extra stuff. Canon certainly has that stuff, but it's, uh, it's really about the skiing and that's all anybody cares about there. And I, I love that. And snowboarding. If that's your jam, then cool. Canon will love you too. Um, so check out Cannon Mountain, uh, over in Franconia, New Hampshire. They are the spot they're opening in a couple weeks here, just like everybody else in New England. And we are going to be off to the races for, uh, for ski season, 2021, 2022. And I could not be more excited. I'm basically just going to like quit working, working and just go skiing every day. I think that's the new plan. So, uh, don't tell anybody, don't tell, uh, my boss, um, we also have Onyx. Onyx Backcountry is back um, for another week. These guys are amazing. They've been super helpful to work with. They've been very thoughtful uh, in the way that they treat us. And I also just think it's a great product. Like it's a great, it's a mapping product. If you're not familiar with Onyx Hunt, um, Onyx Backcountry is very similar in the sense that it is a mapping product where you can populate different areas, uh, different routes, different slope angles, weather pattern, like all this stuff is available in the Onyx Backcountry app. It's basically like if you were wondering 
what a particular line is, you're looking for some beta, this is the spot to go. Um, Onyx has been doing this for a long time, and they've kind of just decided to bring this over to the backcountry and ski space. So you will start to see more and more and more um, stuff get added to this as we go along. And right now, if you sign up for OnX, uh, you can save 20% by using promo code out of bounds. In addition to that, they'll donate $10 to your favorite Avalanche Center in uh, in the U.S. So um, if you're in Colorado, um, CAIC, that would be the place to go. Mount Washington Observatory, like that would be a great place for New Englanders. I mean, there's so many good places that deserve the funding and need the funding. Um, and these signups from Onyx really, really will help that, um, especially on the bigger scale of things. So um, for more information on that stuff, you can just go to www.outofcollective.com um, uh, and we have more info on Onyx. Um, we'll also include a link to this stuff in the show notes. Uh, so you can just click that link, go directly to Onyx, get signed up, save 20%, and you get to donate. You get to feel like you're donating without actually donating. Um Onyx is going to donate for you. So it's like you donate, but somebody else's money. It's like the best parts of donating. So um, sign up for an Onyx membership today. Save 20% using promo code out of bounds. And uh, and yeah, that's it for Onyx for this uh, morning, afternoon, day, whatever. Um, be sure to check out the website. There's a bunch of new stuff going on on the Out of Collective site. Uh, we have some new branding, some new swag items that are getting dropped very, very soon, hopefully in time for the holidays. Um Shout out to Chris Damani for the design. Like, that dude's a genius. So that stuff is going to be really cool to, to see uh, once we're at, like, the final end. Um, listen to the other shows on the network. Oh, website stuff. One more thing. We're doing this thing called Weekly Watches, which is not a new idea. It's like Pink Bike does all the bike videos that they like during the week, and I forget what they call it. But um, we're calling it Weekly Watches. Um, basically, it's just a bunch of stuff where I, like, just sit and zone out on my couch and go... Uh, just go like find the best YouTube videos from skate, ski, snow, um, bike, outdoorsy. I mean, it's just five of the best videos that I found during the week. Um, last week included a couple bangers. Um, and you have to see those for sure. So go to www. I think that's enough W's out of collective.com and check that stuff out. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, please, if you can. Five stars will help all four shows out um, on the same feed. So uh, Big Stick Energy fans, The Pursuit fans, Me fans, Coffee and Van Chat fans, um, leave us a review on iTunes if you get the opportunity. Spotify listeners, we were a little slow last week. Um, Spotify had some issues pulling from the site, but we figured it out. We're back up and going, so that all should be consistent this week. So uh, without further ado, here's Weird Foothill Guy and Stuart Winchester. Cool. Um, Stuart, tell people who you are, tell them a little bit about yourself, and then uh, I guess we'll take it from there. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here, Adam. I have been a big admirer of your podcast for a very long time. I'm obviously a a bit of a latecomer to this scene, so there were a lot of really well-established podcasts when I went about setting up the storm. So I really surveyed the landscape, and the ones that stood out to me were yours, uh, Low Pressure, Wintery Mix, um, and obviously Powell. So those were the good independent podcasts that had really shown consistency over time and kind of set the template for what, what's possible for just a, a person in a room to do. So um, I am the editor and host of the Storm Skiing Journal and Podcast, which all goes out through a, an email newsletter via Substack. Okay. 
explain to me the sub the Substack thing. Like, I don't really understand what it is, but I see yeah. a lot of journalists in other spaces using it. Um, and I kind of just want to know. And this is maybe way too inside baseball to start off a podcast <laughs> with, but I kind of it's a question for me more than anybody else. No, it's a really good question. So Substack <clears throat> was launched three or four years ago, and the idea is to give writers a platform to make an independent living without having to worry about anything else. So without having to worry about the tech, without having to build a website, uh, without having to clear things through an editor, without having to worry, worry about sponsors. Because what you can do with Substack, which I have not done yet, is you can turn on subscriptions and you can do it very easily. So you take some of these big time writers who have built up a really big audience um, and they'll go from like a New York magazine where, you know, they're making a, a regular salary, maybe a hundred grand a year. And they'll go on Substack and, and they'll make multiples of that because they, they have a following. They're very well-established writers and, and they're able to just write and just worry about that and nothing else. Mm. Um, so, so Substack, I, I looked at a bunch of different email platforms <clears throat> to start this and, and I wanted it to be distributed via email because I, I honestly don't consider myself a podcaster. That's like a, it's like a, it's almost a supporting platform. Mm -hmm. I consider myself a writer first. So I, I, I wanted a, a platform to distribute writing. And it just so happened that it also hosted, you know, will also host your podcast and it syncs with iTunes and it syncs with, mm. um, with Spotify and all these other services. So all I have to do is publish a podcast there and it, and it syncs up everywhere else. It's, it's really like, I'm not a tech guy. I mean, I'm a content person. And the, the, the big obstacle to me with starting this kind of platform before was I just didn't want to run a website. It, it's just, it requires a whole different skill set and it requires a lot of time to maintain and to do it properly and make sure the experience is good. With Substack, it's just the writing. Um, so it's, it's really growing quite quickly and they do a lot to support the writers. So I've, I've really enjoyed uh, working on that platform. And, and I think it has a lot of potential for the future for, for what the storm could become. Mm. Yeah. And we run very different. Like we, obviously we both are in the ski space. We both have like a guest format and all this kind of stuff. But other than that, they're very different products. I think that are offered. You are very writing heavy for sure. Like, and that's one of the things I said early on was it's beautiful. Like I could never do this, but it's beautiful to look at. And it's like, you have in-depth analysis. I actually literally paid another guy to come <laughs> in and now write our like recaps because I was yeah. like, okay, Stuart's doing such a good job with write-ups per episode that I just can't not have these things available to people because it actually like shines a light on a glaring hole that's in this like ski podcast space. And then that's the actual writing to go along with the product that you're offering in, in the vocal format, you know? Um, so I think, I think what you do there is, is amazing. And I think that part really, really shines. The other thing that's different is you're interviewing mostly mountain officials, you know, people that are representing mountains in some way. So I guess one of my questions is how, how do you keep that conversation fresh when you're talking to people that all kind of do not the same job, but very similar jobs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's a good question. Um, I'll tell you that the farther away you get from a corporate structure, the, the freer the interviewee tends to be. So, so if you take someone like John Schaefer, who owns Berkshire East and Catamount, 
he does not care what anyone thinks and and he <laughs> will come up with like the craziest ideas and, and he just has a different way of thinking like he grew up on the mountain right his you know his dad bought the mountain and owned it and and he was you know running around making snow <laughs> when he was like five years old probably not making snow but watching the guys right, right. and getting in the way um so so he's just a very fresh guy who who thinks very differently you think laszlo vete the guy who owns platicale out in new york with his wife danielle same kind of thing uh jeff hathaway up in magic i know he's been on your pod as well he's uh, in my opinion one of the best ski marketers in the country i mean the the story that he's built around magic and and in, in building this community that truly believes that that is the best ski area in vermont whether mm. it is or not is remarkable and that and that's all jeff because magic's not the best ski area in vermont um it's great don't tell I jeff, like, don't tell I, jeff I, this I, <laughs> no I, I know I, I i like magic a lot um but he it, it, it's it's jeff has built this legend and, and people mm -hmm. are all in um so so with those guys it's easy and, and i love when i can get a hold of them and, and the, the the funny part is you would think that the owner of you know west mountain would be easier to get to than the guy who runs killington but in fact usually those big mountains have a whole PR infrastructure, right? Their email addresses are public. They have media training. They're comfortable. The little guys, a lot of times, and this is not West mountain. They're actually very easy to get a hold of. I don't know why I drew them out, but, um, <laughs> but they're the say, take, take some other little places that I, I don't want to mention. So I don't want to call anyone out who, who wouldn't do the podcast, but sometimes they're just shy. They, they don't want yeah. to talk to media and they, they're they're I think they're just afraid they don't have anything to say, but I really like talking to those places. So, um, when, when you get to the, when you get to the big mountains, it's in the, in the big mountain managers. And I'm not trying to say at all that the big mountain managers don't have personality and don't have interesting things to say. Cause I interviewed Frank DeBerry who runs Crystal out in Washington mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. He was amazing. Um, just really insightful guy had, had a really good philosophy of, of how to actively improve that experience. Um, but it really comes down to man a lot of preparation. Like my interviews are heavily scripted. I'll be frank about that. Like mm. these guys get the questions a week or two in advance. They know what I'm going to talk about. They know the order I'm going to talk about them in, and we'll throw some really? other things in there. Yeah, but it's so, so. You know what? What I did for a long time um, is I worked at uh, the NBA's headquarters in New York City, the corporate headquarters, and I did a lot of executive prep. Um, and that was for the commissioner, David Stern at the time, uh, the current commissioner, Adam Silver, who was the, uh, vice commissioner or whatever, then associate commissioner. I don't remember what the title was. Um, and I did a lot of speech writing for the president of the WNBA. And, and what I found is that if, if you don't prepare the, these kind of executives, like these high level people, if you don't set them up to look smart, mm. they're going to walk right out of the room. So I, there was one time and I'll tell the story now because it was, it was probably 12 years ago, but David Stern, who was commissioner of the NBA at the time, he used to record these little videos. We had a studio there on our, in our skyscraper in, in the fifth Avenue in Manhattan. And uh, he would record these little videos for like a tribute to, you know, you know, this player's retiring right, right, right. or this guy got an award. And so things he couldn't actually go to, he'd, he'd, uh, record these videos so you know we would prepare, prepare this little packet for him like here's the background and, and and you know here's what you should say 
And we go up there. <clears throat> I don't remember what the event was, but he's flipping through and flipping through and looking at it. And he's like, all right, let's try this. Turn on the camera. There's like a whole crew there. He's like, stop, stop, stop. And he's looking again. He's looking again. And he's like, all right, let's try this again and turn the camera back on. And finally, he just says, stop the cameras. He's like, you know what? Bring me back up here when you got your shit together. And he throws the paper in and storms <laughs> out of the room. And, you know, I haven't worked there for 10 years, so I, I don't think I'm going to get in trouble for that. Yeah. But it, 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 was a, it was a big lesson to be like, if you're going to ask for an hour of these guys' time, you got to bring everything you have to that interview. Like, mm. show them that you care enough to know what they're doing, what they've done, what they're going to do, um, but still give them enough room to talk about it in a level of detail without a filter. And that's kind of the point of the podcast, right? Because a lot of times you'll get a right. Q&A that's written and it gets edited. And, and I want to give them a space to just be like, you know, take, for example, uh, this isn't a great example for, for, for us on the East Coast, but Crystal Mountain put in place a couple different changes. They did... Uh, they changed icon pass access. You used to get five days on the base, or you used to get unlimited on the base. They changed it to five days on the base. So now you got to pay 300 more for the full um, to get crystal unlimited access, right? And they also put in place a parking charge for this coming season. But the nice part about having the guy in the pod is, is he can talk at length about that and the reasoning behind it. And usually these are smart people. Like no one's no one's putting an idiot in charge of Killington, right? For sure. Like yeah. these, these people got their they got their stuff together. And so um they they will talk at length and they'll, and they'll give you good reasons. And, and once you hear them reason through it, it, it's really hard to be like, to be as mad about whatever it is you're mad about. Mm. I agree. I find myself doing that a lot where like, I'll come at somebody really hard initially, like it, before I interview them and I'll be really upset about whatever the issue is. And then as soon as I hear them actually explain it verbally to me in like a one-to-one -one scenario, it's almost natural reaction to just be like, oh, this guy's taking the time, even if it's bad, right? Even if I still don't agree, my yeah. stance softens to the point where like, it's at least a, I get it situation mm -hmm. versus a fuck you for doing this, not the right way situation. You know? And I think that's one of the hard things I struggle with as an interviewer is how do you do, how do you manage that? Right? Because your audience wants to hear you actually stick to your guns in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And if you're being convinced by this person one-on-one, -on -one, it's almost like, are you just, <laughs> are you just happy that they're giving you the time of day and you're like giving up on whatever stance you took? And, and that's not the case. It's just, they're actually giving you the time of day. They're explaining it to you and it's making more sense to your head as opposed to reading a headline. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. And, and that's one of the things I really like about having that balance of the newsletter that I, the way I kind of think about it is the podcast is for them and the newsletter is for me. And, mm. and so the, the little kind of script that I put on with the, the podcast, that's a chance to react to some of these things that they say. Um, I, I certainly, you know, this is, I mean, let's, let's back up and this is not hard copy. This is skiing, right? So, right. so if someone's pissed off because most of charging $20 to park, like that's okay. They still have a free lot. You got to take a shuttle and yeah, it's a bummer, but, um, but let's just keep this in perspective. Right. So, <laughs> so you, usually the issues are not as serious as, uh, as social media makes them. So, yeah. And I feel like social media gets so much of everyone's attention that I, I want to make the pod a forum where, where people have a place to talk. Right. No. And I, I agree. I think that was kind of one of my goals as well. When I started the show was like, I want to, like, I want people to actually be able to hear what things are about. Right. I, I want them to know 
not like how the sausage is made, but kind of right. Like I want yeah. them to know, like the way these, the athletes think the people at resorts think and, and kind of mm-hmm. how that conversation boils down on a one-to-one level, as opposed to like the cookie cutter, like you're a pro skier, great edit, really fun. Uh, what are you going to ski on this year? You know, like, yeah. it's just not, uh, <laughs> it's not what I like to do. Right. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of a hard balance. And honestly, it took COVID for me, you, you mentioned like prepping and putting these people in the proper light to be successful. Right. Yeah. That wasn't a thing that I really did at all. And I still don't Mm -hmm. do it to a high level, but my bit for the first probably three years that I started this show was like, I'm not going to do any research. I'm going to find it all out. Like when I talk to them. Right. And that works to an extent. And some, with some people, it works really, really well, but Mm -hmm. I found like, this is what I have for you. Like I have like, uh, one sheet, like five <laughs> scribbled hot topics where like, I can mm-hmm. talk to you about them. And I know enough about your background and did a little bit of research. And that's kind of where I'm finding my sweet spot where I can hold an educated conversation. It doesn't feel scripted to me. Like I have severe ADHD, you probably already mm-hmm. noticed during this conversation. Like, so I can't it, to do a scripted section would not feel mm-hmm. authentic to me. It just wouldn't make yeah. sense to my brain. If you're an organized, prepared person and you've done, you know, professional prep work like for the NBA, mm-hmm. I'm sure it makes it a lot easier to do that kind of interview and still make it fun and exciting. It would it would sound so inauthentic when I said it, but when you do it, it sounds it sounds correct. Yeah, I I, I would not be able to like when when I listen to Warner on uh, Low Pressure, I I'm amazed with his ability to just engage people with no notes for shoot the shit. Period. Yeah. He's, he's very good at it. And, and I think, I think interviewing athletes is a, is a whole different, uh, they have a whole different mindset. I, I don't think I could do it. And even if I did prepare, it'd be very hard for me. Um, and, and I, I think that he has a very particular skill set that, that works very well for him. Uh, for, for me, if I didn't prepare like that, the interviews would, would not be very good with the, mm. with the uh, folks who run the ski resorts. I mean, first of all, they, they usually ask for questions in advance anyway, but um, even, even if they didn't, even when they don't, I prepare them because I, I just know that if, if there's an awkward moment or, or I forget something, it's there and I can go to it and I need that safety. Mm. So it's, it's kind of knowing my weaknesses and, and that ability to just uh, BS with, with that sort of uh, person on that kind of interview, I just don't, I don't have that in the podcast would would not be very good with if I tried that. Yeah. And I think Warner's kind of in between the two of us where like Warner does a shit ton of research. He just doesn't mm-hmm. show you that he does and he doesn't <laughs> do scripted questions. He just bullshit, right. but he does him and Powell. Like I remember yeah. when I first, we like do these little podcast meetups at outdoor retailer. And like mm-hmm. a few years ago, they both told me that Powell was like, I forget what he said, but he was like, I do like 16 hours of research. And then like, I do 10 hours of editing. And I'm like, I do no, I don't even edit my own podcast. I don't do any research. <laughs> like I am a total piece of shit, like in comparison to these guys. That are, and it's not that I'm not taking it serious. I am taking it serious. Right. It's just, it's everybody does different things. And I think that's really important to kind of acknowledge in this ski space because we're all close together. Right. We all, kind of intermingle in so many different ways yeah I, I think it's funny when they hassle you about not uh not editing because I don't edit mine either my wife edits mine. <laughs> and and my wife is a uh is an editor she's a tv editor she edits yeah. she edits like chopped and shows you watch on tv so for her my little podcast is like right I, it, you know it's like a free throw for Michael Jordan it's, it's nothing right so so 
I, if, if I had to edit this podcast, Adam, it would not exist. Oh, same. I, I would not, if I did, I would pay somebody, you know, I, I, again, like I've said this at nauseum, like I would pay Ethan anything he wants to edit our show. Like I, or I would go and I would pay somebody else. I try to pay this dude all the time, but it's just the dude has his own gig. He's got his own thing. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's a free throw for him. It's not right. like this takes him any amount of time. It, he's happy to do it. He's happy to be involved. And I love having it. It's, it makes it so much easier. I think those guys are just jealous that they don't have somebody like this. So <laughs> shout out to your wife. Shout out to Ethan. Um, this is really best case scenario for us. I think those guys just need to get a, I don't know, need to get an editor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. No, It frees I, you I up to do the things to, you're good at, right? Exactly. Like it frees you up to do things that are fun. Like I wouldn't be able to create mm-hmm. social content if I was spending all day editing. Like I just simply yeah, don't yeah. have the time of the day. And that's kind of the next question I wanted to ask you was, how do you have the time? Like you have a real job, right? Yeah. And I don't know how you manage to write this much to talk yeah. about skiing and to be enthusiastic about talking skiing, you know, cause like this is you're reporting like as your side gig, that is a hard thing to do in a lot yeah. of ways. Right. So how, how do you find the time? How does your workflow work? Um, and how yeah. do you like, I don't know, how do you manage? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, let me, let me take the, the enthusiasm part first. So I went to journalism school and there's a lot of ways you can go from journalism school. And the, where I ended up was in corporate, sort of doing uh, communications, marketing, um, internal communications stuff. And I started at the MBA and I've moved on to my current company, which is a big entertainment company in Manhattan. Um, and that's great. Like it's an interesting world. It's a big world. It's a fast moving world. There's a lot you can do. Um, and, you know, New York is where I want to live. And that's how you live in New York is to do that kind of thing. Uh, but it, but it, it wasn't satisfying this sort of creative piece that I had mm. where I, I wanted to write about things that I really cared about. Um, and I, you know, I like basketball, but, but not like I like skiing, man. Like, mm. there's nothing like skiing. There's, there's nothing like it in the world that, that does the same thing to me or makes me feel the same way. So I always wanted to write about skiing and, the, so, so, so when I finally figured out a way to have a platform with Substack, when I read about Substack, I'm like, this is it. This is, this is how I do it. I was very excited. So the enthusiasm wasn't a problem. Um, the time is a big problem. Uh, I, I tend to, so I have two kids and I sort of tr- trained myself. I've never been a morning person, but I trained myself when my son was born about five years ago to get up around six without an alarm. So I wake up every day at six and I just start writing and, and with COVID, I don't have to start work till nine. Right. And then you have the whole evening, um, you know, I'll send an email and stuff here and there during the day, but for the most part, it's evenings. And then on weekends, I still just wake up early and just write. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, it takes a while. Each post takes about six or seven hours. Uh, you know, that's either a podcast or a just written post. Um, and for whatever reason, that's just the amount of time it takes, no matter what I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say is about the reporting piece. If, if you compare me to someone like Jason Blevins, who's amazing, yeah. like I'm not doing good reporting, right? Like I'm, I'm, I've built a, a, a sort of Rolodex of folks who I can reach out to. Um, but 
there's a lot of things I'm missing. I, I, I don't do a good job of getting the perspective of the skier. You know, I have a lot of corporate contacts, but um, like I said, they have media training and they're just much easier to, to just reach out to and ping. Uh, so, so he, he's like, ideally what I would get to if I had more time. Right. Um, right now I don't put myself anywhere near that level. It's, it's, I can occasionally, what I, well, I have tried to professionalize it a little more and like, because I realized a little while ago, um, that sometimes when I write these things, it would be to my benefit to get another point of view because the, a rep from a very big ski company reached out to me and they're like, you know, um, they're starting to think that you're like just attacking them. And I'm like, all right, I never thought they'd be reading this, but, but maybe it's time to more proactively reach out. So I have tried to do that a lot more. Um, I mm. think I have a lot of growing to do in that area. Uh, and I think that what that would take is more time. Um, and, and I don't see where that's going to come from with the full-time job and the kids and everything. So, do you, little by little. When people say that you're attacked, cause I get this uh, obviously often um, yeah. when I'm like, attacking a ski resort or I'm talking about mm -hmm. a ski resort or I'm offering an opinion does that impact the way that you look at your own reflection of them like does that does that really matter to you when someone's like you're attacking especially to me for example when a and I'm just using them as an example a Vail Resorts reaches out to me and is like we don't like what you said um, mm -hmm. or like we have opinions or thoughts on this we'd like to talk to you more about this and uh, I almost want to double down on my opinion as opposed mm -hmm. to being like yes i see your point of view right because them engaging with my content means they feel some type of way about it and that means mm -hmm. to me that there's a connection to be made there how do you feel when resorts reach because you're doing like i do it every so often right i'll have a resort on i'll, mm -hmm. I'll talk to them i'll i'll comment on something that you know, price increase or a fast tracks or a this kind of thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. I don't do this all the time, but I do it when it's, when it's a current event style thing. You're doing it all the time. Does it, yeah. does it affect you personally at all? Does it make you go back and think, okay, should I rewrite something like this? Should I offer a different take? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think what, what, what I'm ultimately striving for is to be objective. Um, and, and what I've found is that the ski industry uh, as long as the criticism is fair and grounded in facts, it, they're open to it for the mm. most part. Um, I haven't encountered any big issues um, with that. It, it's, to answer your question, though, I really appreciate when they reach out uh, be, because it shows they're engaged. It, it shows that they do care about their public perception. And I'll give you an example. Like, uh, I kind of slammed Waterville Valley. I'm like, this is the most boring out in New Hampshire. <laughs> Um, you know, they don't have any glades and, uh, and they reached out to me. And they're like, Hey, listen, I, you know, we're, we're, this is our long-term plan. These, these are the glades we've actually built out. Um, you know, our current GM, Tim Smith is really likes that kind of skiing and he, he's like actively doing it. And then he, and then, I had him on the podcast and then he started sending me pictures all, all, all summer long. He's sending pictures like, look what we're glading today. Look what we're glading today. <laughs> Cause you know, one of my big things in what I typically will criticize a mountain about is not having a balanced experience, right? Because it, it, I get really frustrated when I go to Okemo, for example. Thank you. They're I was hoping worst. you were going to say this. I was hoping you were going to say this. <laughs> 110 trails or whatever it is, and they're all groomed. And it's like, okay, I get it. You know, you're, you're catering to yeah. city skiers who are upper intermediates and don't think they're upper intermediates. And they're 
and, and you have to keep them happy. You have to keep them come back. But it's a big mountain. Like, let's a lot of trail bump up. Yeah. Like, uh, open yeah. some glades. And, uh, and so that's, that's usually what I've gotten after them about in the Northeast. It's not really a problem in the West. Mm. Uh, but, but in general, you know, um, I, I appreciate them engaging me more than them ignoring me <laughs> because, because there's, there's some big companies that do an awesome job. Like I have an awesome relationship with Boyne Resorts. They, 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 they give me access to their people. Um, I can reach out to the CEO uh, and, and they're open to criticism. You know, uh, I, I, I have criticism for them, but their past prices, um, some other things in there, you know, they, they, they can handle it. <laughs> like they're, they're like, Boyne's not gonna, uh, no one's gonna stop skiing Boyne because I call them out for one or two things and they understand that. Um, mm. I have a great relationship with Altera. Um, have a, a good and, and evolving relationship with Vale. Uh, and, you know, some of, the, some of the independents have been really good as well. So I, I appreciate that. And then there's some that, that just won't, they won't answer your call. Like I, I've had a really hard time getting through to Orta uh, in New York. That's, they run Whiteface, Gore, and okay. uh, Bel Air, the Olympic Regional Development Authority. And that's one of the requests I get most often. Hey, can you have Orta on the podcast? We want to hear from Orda. We want to hear from Whiteface. We want to hear from from Gore, and, and I just cannot get anything out of them. It's frustrating because it's it's I'm giving them basically free advertising, right? Yeah, and like that's always the thing for me is we are like ski media, right? You look mm-hmm. at media in other sports, right? Basketball, football, whatever, whatever. Um, media is media, right? Like you have to do it. It's part of it. It's important. They value it, right? It may be annoying to do in a lot of ways. And I I understand that perspective very well, but this is ski media. We, I would argue we are way more proportionately important than any other media site, like in other sports, right? Like this is important because skiers, listen, you're directly talking to the audience that you need to sell a product to in so many ways. And for the most part, we're not like, we're fair. We're open with Mm -hmm. our criticism. We're open for conversation. And I will always admit, like, if I'm wrong and you can tell me that I'm wrong in so many words, like I'm happy to take my stance back publicly and say, I was wrong. It is what it is. And and I just find that the ones that engage with you really well are the ones that benefit from it really well Mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. I I think, especially as the, the classic, print-based ski media has faded because they, they did not handle the transition to digital well. And there's, there's some still out there. Ski's still going. Sierra's doing a great job with that. Um, free skiers still going along. It's, you know, in, in a diminished form as far as the number of issues. Uh, but the only thing between them and the public a lot of times is social media because the, the magazines, and, and one of the reasons I started the storm the magazines really went toward this. Uh, they like went all in on the free skiing and the progression of the sport and the, the wild ski trips. And, and that stuff's cool. And I have so much respect for anyone that can do that. But honestly, bro, I can't do a somersault on dry land. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not hitting the park and, and flipping off anything. What, what I care about is, is how are the mountains that most of us ski most of the time being run and most of the information that's out there about Killington or Sugarbush or Stowe or Wildcat is bad information because it's some idiot on social media 
who has some friend that worked at the mountain eight years ago and hears something and puts it out there as fact. Mm. So the opportunity for, for anyone speaking with us is like I said, tell their side of the story. Cause I just, it's, it's their, it's their time, but the podcast is theirs. I turn it over to them. Um, I let them talk as long as they want, you know, about whatever they want. And, uh, and, and that is, is giving them an ability to retell the story in on their terms with my editorializing on the side. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting space and it's an interesting space because like we don't necessarily like, I, I don't know, like nobody gave, nobody hired you to do the storm, right? <laughs> nobody hired me to do the podcast. Like right. we just decided that we were going to do it and yeah. now we get access to these people directly. And I think that that's, that is the one weird thing that I will always appreciate is that this industry kind of allows you to go and talk to whoever you want, whether it's CEO of Boyne or like mm-hmm. I talked to Cody Townsend last week. And like, yeah. as a, you think about it as a kid and you're like, okay, well, I, how do you even find these people? How do you talk to these people? Yeah. If I got to talk to them, what would I talk to them about? And it's, uh, that's where ski media is very bizarre to me. And I think, I think you're right. Like I've talked a lot about ski magazines lately and for better or for worse, I think they haven't done that transition to digital correctly in some ways. And I think in other ways, they're just kind of trying to figure out what to do with their audience. And I always give credit mm-hmm. to places like new schoolers that still have were never really a magazine they were just mm-hmm. an internet site and i've kind of figured out a way and i should qualify this by saying it's not what it was 10 years ago for sure yeah but it's one of the few things that i can do advertising wise or if i just post my episodes on new schoolers one of the few things that i do that i get a noticeable bump mm-hmm. in downloads every single time if i put that product whatever it is on and it doesn't even have to be like park skiing based i can just put a regular pot on there and i notice whatever the number is, it's an extra hundred, it's an extra 200, 300 downloads because I posted it there as opposed to posting it elsewhere versus, you know, I've run ads in free skier and like, it's just yeah. not, I get nothing oh, really? from it. Like radio. Oh yeah. Like I took out, this wow. was a couple of years ago. The pod was very new and this is probably part of the reason, but took out a full page ad in free skier. And I was like, you yeah. know what, I'm going to spend the money. I'm going to just invest into this yeah. thing and put it back into print. And I got nothing out of it. Really? That's a zero. Um, and maybe like, I just don't see it. Right. Like there's no way to go. Okay. The ad came out. How long do you see that bump in the show? Like I I just never ended up seeing anything versus if I go do another podcast or I go put something on new schoolers, you notice a bump almost immediately. So it's a very weird, it's a very weird way to, I also don't really know how to market podcasts or this product that I have. Like, it's really hard to push because on Instagram, the algorithm doesn't care at all about like you being like, Hey, new podcast today, you'll get 12 likes on that post, right? You could do mm-hmm. something fun and it, it'll engage through the roof. And I struggle to find ways to promote the show. So I guess mm-hmm. I have one of the questions I had for you is how, how do you promote the show? What, what have you found to be effective ways to tell people like the storm exists, you know, like this is, yeah. we are here. Yeah. There, there's two, two elements. I, I think that I'd call out in particular. The first was some advice Kaufman gave me um, wintery mix Kaufman gave me, uh, about this time last year. And, you know, I was, I was putting out the pod and, and we were sort of talking on the side. Um, and he's been very supportive of it, by the way, he's uh, the best for, for a long time. Nobody better. And really, yep. yeah, really, really helped me, uh, understand, you know, he helped me promote it, you know, with his Twitter 
followers and sort of get a get a little bit of a following. But he told me, he's like, look, I, I've had a lot of luck promoting the pod ahead of time, you know, r- rather than just because he noticed I was just dropping it once it was live. And I was like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense, because if I book these big names, you know, if I have the GM a Saddleback and Mount Snow coming up, like, why not talk about it? Right. Mm. Um, so so I started I started doing that. Um, a lot. And I started doing it on different platforms. And you know what I found? I I, I can see all my referral traffic going back two years on Substack. The very best source of referral traffic has been Facebook because there's all these schemes on Facebook. And I I know Facebook is knucklehead central, but there's all these groups. So there's groups for Epic pass holders and icon pass holders and indie pass holders. Yeah. Ski the East and there's ski the Northwest and there's ski Colorado. So whenever I do a podcast, I pick out the right groups and I post it there. So when I, when I interviewed the, the GM of Boyne Mountain a couple of weeks ago, I put it on the Icon Pass Holders group because it's an Icon Pass Mountain. I put it on uh, Overheard Michigan Ski Resorts group because that's obviously Michigan Mountain. I put it on Ski the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. So, so and then if, if, I, if the, I, yesterday I recorded a podcast with uh, Vale's East CEO, Tim Baker. And mm-hmm. I'll put that on Epic Pass Holders and Epic Pass Holders Northeast. Mm. And I'll put it on Ski the Northeast. And Ski, That's Ski really East smart. is a whole different thing. But, but dude, the referral traffic that I get from Facebook and the number of newsletter signups, which is a thing I really care about, that I get from Facebook is, is just unbelievable. Um, the way I kind of broke it down for Doug Fish, because he's, uh, he, he's, he does a good job on, um, he's obviously an amazing marketer, but with, with the social, so, you know, Instagram is where like the ski studs are like the people who, who can, you know, just uh, amaze you with what they can do. Twitter is where the whole industry is. Right. And, and the smart people making decisions, Facebook's where the actual skiers are. Mm. Like you're, you're like, go up for, for the weekend to Mount (sighs) skiers. And there's a lot of dumb opinions there, but there's also a lot of people that really love skiing and, and they find that more of them have found the podcast there. I've gotten, almost a third of my signups directly from Facebook posts. And I'm just no very kidding. meticulous about that. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I, I think I soured because of groups like, uh, what's that guy's name? I can't stand this guy and I can't remember his name. Um, I know what you're thinking of. It's uh skiology Matt. Like I yes. posted in fucking whatever. I haven't blocked on Twitter now, but um, <laughs> which is probably going to drive him nuts. And I hope he listens to this and emails me and, you know, is very upset, but um I posted a few times and like, it would get pulled. Like it would be like, and it was relevant content to like, it would be like, whatever is going on. And then I posted on, like, I tried that Pugsky website before too. And that was like, same deal. He messaged me directly and was like, can't have outbound links on our site. Like this is uh, we want to keep people here. And I'm like, this is, you guys put the post feature here for this reason to put yeah. out content. And like, he, he was like, if you want to have me on the podcast, we'll trade, like, then you can post about, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then like, so I kind of soured from these Facebook type mm-hmm. group people for this reason. And I just mm-hmm. haven't gone back. It's like, actually, like, I really care about social, obviously, like mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time oh, on, dude, you chill it on Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Like I enjoy doing it. Yeah. The one, and my goal is like one by one, right? Like initially it was Instagram. I want to do I want to do well on Instagram and then I want to do well on Twitter and then I want to do well on now it's YouTube is kind of, or TikTok was the focus for a minute. And then it's YouTube is the next. And Facebook has just not even been on my radar, even though I know you're right. 
it, it's just I maybe have too much of an ego to go on Facebook and be like, hey, everybody, here's this product that I, I guess. And I don't know. That's, uh, it's, it's well, you, you do have to deal with an admin a lot. And, and that can be frustrating. I, I think, you know, Skiology does a really good job with the weather. And he helped me promote the podcast when it first launched. Mm. We used to we used to ride together. Um, you know, it, it's there's a lot of rules on that group for sure. Um, and, and I no longer am part of that group, but um, there's a lot of groups where you don't hit those sort of walls, like the icon pass and the Epic pass groups don't have those admins. Mm. You know, they, sometimes I understand when you need it because uh, it, people just start posting, you know, Trump rallies or, or whatever, you know, right. that's what happened to ski the East. It just, it just became this crazy thing. Right. Um, so they had to, they had to put in an admin wall and they usually won't approve my stuff either. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding the groups and, and I know Facebook is uh, a frustrating place, but it's, it, it's turned into a pretty consistent well of places to find folks to mm. engage with. And there's good people. I mean, everyone's on Facebook, so it's just the loudest voices kind of ruin it for everyone else. And I shouldn't like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not intending to like trash like skiology matter or whatever, but like, I have an issue with him because he, he takes content from other people, rewrites it and then puts it out as his own, like over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I just don't like that. Like, I just don't want to be associated with that. And I don't want to like accuse him of things that he's like beyond doing that. Other people have their own opinions about him for other reasons. Like I do not Mm -hmm. have opinions beyond that one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, I, we won't get into the specifics because I don't want to give this guy any more clout than I already just did, but um, it's uh it's just interesting. But anyway, let's, yeah. let's switch topics real quick here. Cause I want to know monetizing this thing that you have is a really hard thing to do. It's this, yeah. I, I struggle with this all the time. It's like, you have to figure out a way to present this to brand partners, brand sponsors in a way that is applicable to them and mm. that they really care about how, how have you been able to do that? Do you like, do, do you care even about the monetization of what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it's something I think about a lot. I think I've been, first of all, I've been focused mostly on building audience, right? So I launched this about two years ago. And as you know, it's hard to be nobody and become somebody, right? It's, it's hard to get people's attention. Cause I, I didn't start this with any industry contacts or um, any media background in skiing or anything else. So it was, it was, it was really a matter of hitting the pavement and then trying to build up a base of listeners um, and readers via the newsletter. Uh, That's where I've been focused, like I said, mostly via social, because that's what I found works the best. Um, I've tried, I tried a few Facebook ads. I didn't really do anything. It's more like interacting with groups, right? Mm. Um, I I do have, um, I've had a couple sponsorships, both of which reached out to me. So I got Rogi with the Mountain Gazette, which was super clutch. Um, He, he's a sort of, called me out on Twitter and said, Hey, I found this podcast during COVID. I really liked it. Uh, and I was like, Hey, you want to come on the pod? And he's like, sure. So he came on the pod and then he hit me up a couple weeks later. He's like, Hey, I want to sponsor you. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about it. And, uh, and that's been really good for me just to have that association because I think it's so well-respected and it's, mm. it's so amazing what he did, just bringing back this iconic, uh, print magazine in a way that's sustainable for the current moment, 
right? Because print has had a lot of problems and if, you know, powder couldn't figure it out and, and skiing couldn't figure it out and they went under. And it's like, Mike's found, I think a sustainable model. He said he needed to have a thousand subscriptions to be sustainable. And, I, and last I heard he was at three. So, um, so I, I was really, I'm really proud to be associated with that and really grateful to him for reaching out. I had a partnership last fall with last winter with Hallie Hansen, who reached out to me. Um, that was a winter partnership. Uh, the guy who I was working with left the company, so that's not renewed. And, you know, as far as pursuing new ones, I've, I've tried a few things. I've tried, I've tried a few like cold calls. I really am not great at admin. My wife is much better at it and she's been helping me a little bit. Um, so, you know, th there's probably some more opportunities for sponsors. I, I think to be honest with you, the, the monetization that I'm going to do is by turning on subscriptions on the newsletter. Mm, and I think like I'll do a Patreon that style. Yeah. And so basically the way Substack works, you can still have free posts and you have paid posts. So only the paid, you know, everybody gets the free posts and only your paid subscribers get paid. You can also make part of some posts paid. So I could, you know, say if I did a podcast and I do all that background, I could do it, you know, the podcast at the top and then just, you know, who it is when I recorded it and everything below would be under a paywall. Mm -hmm. For instance, I don't know how I'm going to do it exactly yet, but Substack makes it super easy to do that. Um, and I think once the audience hits a certain size, uh, I'll probably do that. And I'm just trying to figure out the timing now. Um, I don't think I'll be able to quit my job, uh, but but I, I do think, and I've been tracking my hours since I started this, just so, I, so when I do turn it on, I can see how much it was. Um, I, I do think that this is, it's too much work to do forever. Um, without generating some income off it. I love it and I love skiing, but it's, it's, you know, it's a good 20 hours a week. And, and that's a lot of time for anybody. No, everybody needs to get paid. Like if you're in ski media, like again, the impact is so direct to the people that you're talking about, especially like on my side, it's really easy to say like athletes have things to promote. Like this time of year is mm -hmm. extremely busy for me because ski movies and projects and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And it's, an extremely busy time i imagine for mountains as well because it's prep time this is the time when like things need to be promoted like in a lot of ways the mountain sells itself as soon as there's snow on the ground right like there's there's a lot of that that's done for them but right now when you're selling passes when you're selling the excitement of the upcoming season and where people are going to spend their time and their money it's more important than ever so i think i think it's really really valuable for brands to partner with independent ski media outlets, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's a podcast or it's a actual media site, whether it's a mountain gazette. Like, I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of value that's directly brought to whoever the advertiser is here that isn't brought necessarily in other avenues. Right. Especially if you're talking, Powell phrased it to me one time as like, it is the most direct opportunity that someone has to market the, to their core audience in so yeah. many ways. Right. Because you are verbalizing why it's important to them. And you're also talking directly to the people who use whatever the ski product is that you're talking about. So um, it's just the, the hard part is always getting people to write it into their budgets and getting people to like treat you like, and I think you actually should have an easier time doing this than I should because you're more professional. You're more like, here's the detailed pack of what you're getting, right? And my main thing is like, I'm selling social, I'm selling like what we do download wise. And that's like my two main headers when I go and I like, I approach a brand and I'm like, please, like I'm asking for scraps basically. Um, <laughs> it's, 
that's what I kind of go to. It's like, these are the things that are tried and true, right? It's like social content and engagement and the actual podcast itself, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and it's a lot of times, it's just hard to figure out how to, how to price those sort of things and how to like actually get people to find value in it, so. Yeah, and I, I find people undervalue themselves. Substack won't let you set the monthly rate below $5 because it, it, it knows that a lot of people would. And, mm. and they, they, they want you to believe that your writing is, is worth something, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the advertising's, uh, you know, I don't think that would ever generate materially enough for me. Maybe I just don't know how to do it. I, you know, I, I don't know if the addressable market in skiing is big enough. It to, is. Yeah. Okay. Promise. I mean, you've, been, you've been in this game longer than me, so. So I'm like, the thing is, is I'm finding out, especially in the last like 10 weeks or something like that, like mm-hmm. since we started doing all four shows on the network. And again, maybe that's part of the reason that it's working lately, but mm-hmm. it is, uh, it has become clear to me that people have money, just they only mm-hmm. have money for the things they really want to give money to. Okay. And that's what is, that's what's been interesting. And it's just finding a way to go, okay here's what I'm offering that's different and here's the mm-hmm. packaging that's different. And that's right. been really important for me to, to kind of push that. And we can, we can talk to, talk about it after and I'll give you details and I'll kind of tell yeah. you like what I've done that's worked recently. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, I think there is a market there. You totally can quit your job. Like Powell, this is what Powell does full time. Really? Like, it's not, is it really? Oh yeah, dude, okay. this is his, this is his okay. gig. I'm sure he does other <laughs> stuff on the side, but, uh, right. but I remember three, four years ago, that motherfucker was telling me like, this is exactly, what I want to do full time all the time. Mm-hmm. This is my, it takes my time. I need to get paid for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, yeah. that's part of it. So, yeah. Um, Stuart, this has been great. Where, uh, where can people find everything, everything that you do? Where can people find you on social, the website, the whole deal? Yeah. The, the main, the main engine driving this whole thing is the storm skiing newsletter. And that is free for now. <laughs> um, it's uh, you can you can subscribe to that for free at stormskiing.com. I am pretty active on Twitter. That's at Stormski Journal. I try to post once a day on Instagram. I try to make that different than Twitter. That is also at Stormski Journal. Uh, I have a Facebook page that I, I kind of ignore. Um, I've, I've really taken to these Facebook groups, mm. but those those are the three best ways. And, uh, you know, if you have to pick one, it's uh, it's the email newsletter. That's, that's the best thing. So it gets to you instantly. Everything's there before Twitter. It's there before iTunes. It's there before everything. That's the spot. Beautiful. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate the time. Thank, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. We got to, we got to meet up and make some turns this, for uh, sure. this winter. Are, are you still beefing with Berkshire East? I am still beefing with Berkshire East until <laughs> uh, it, it's literally a one-sided beef. They don't care about me at all. Okay. Um, right. So I will happily go ski there. They are my local ski resort and I will support them until the day that I die, but I will not do it happily for the time being. Um, <laughs> that is basically the only difference. I it's and I'll I'll, tell, I'll say this one bit. Like I will explain mm-hmm. the story to people that don't know. It's basically as simple as there's a lack of communication on the uphill policy. Like that is it. Okay. Like people show up early in the morning, and some days it's okay if the you know if the crew is in a good mood, but you could show up there at six thirty in the morning, totally within the the structure of what Berkshire East has allowed with an uphill pass paid for mm-hmm. ready to go. And they will still throw you out of there. Um, wow. And that's, that's what I didn't like. And that's why I'm butthurt about 
everything that they've done recently. Like I actually really like so much of what Berkshire's does and yeah. I want to be their friends so bad. And I like, I bought a season pass. I like also bought an uphill pass. I didn't ask for a single thing for them and I don't want to be rewarded for that. But the only thing I want is like consistency. And I've yeah. just been thrown out twice now because whoever was driving the fucking atv around decided that they're in charge and they don't want us on the hill um because it's too early like you have to go uh-huh. during operating hours they said when on the website it clearly says dawn to dusk uh they would prefer you going head on into skier traffic as opposed to going when no one is on the hill while wearing proper reflective gear while wearing a headlamp like all yeah. of these things like i am doing all of the correct things and we're still going to not have communication from the top down and this is more of an issue and it's not even ski patrol ski patrol has no issue it is mountain ops um so my issue really isn't with berkshire east it is with berkshire east mountain operations and a couple people in particular and i shouldn't let berkshire because uh harold green from berkshire east ski patrol reached out to me and he was like hey man like whatever we can do to squash this i want to squash this like i'm i'm like we want you to come here and he's a great guy i really like him i've dealt with him um, with PV Nemba before. Um, and he's, uh, he's awesome. It just doesn't change anything when you get up at four in the morning, you know, four 30 in the morning, get to Berkshire East and they're like, we don't want you here. You know, yeah. like that's, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way and I wasn't super psyched on it, but I don't know. It is what it is. Did you hit up John about it? I didn't hit up John. I don't have John's contact and nor do I want to be like, I want to treat this like I am a customer. Right. Like yeah. I am a, I am, cause I am in this yeah. case, like I'm not looking at myself as anybody higher than anybody else. And I don't want to use any contacts above whatever that floor is. Right. Like a yeah. normal customer would not get in touch with John. Could I get in touch with John? A hundred percent. Am yeah. I going to? Nope. Like I am not because I'm just one, I'm too stubborn. And two, I just, this is happening to me. Right. I'm right. not going to be like, I'm a podcast guy. I have some, I have some clout. Treat me better than this because well, you're a pass holder, right? I, but I mean, I'm a pass holder. That's yeah. my issue. I want to be treated the same way as everybody else is. And if everybody else is getting kicked out when they show up in the morning, because it's not just me showing up in the morning, it's a lot of people. Yeah. So if other mm-hmm. people have had that experience, I think that's a shame on them. And that's an issue with mountain ops um, and an understanding of the policy. Because I was like, very clear. I was like, look, here's my cell phone with all the information. Bing, bing, bing here's where it says that I can be here and still wasn't, wasn't received uh, in any way. And I am a very, I like in a one-on-one situation, I am extremely convincing. I know this about myself. Like I am very, uh, very personable in one-on-one situations. I very rarely get told like to go F off. And this was just one of those situations where they were like, yeah, get back in your car, drive home an hour. And, uh, and I just didn't love it, but it, it's fine. We're, we're fine. We'll go ski at Berkshire East <laughs> in, in, in short. <laughs> did you get your pass? Uh, I actually did not buy a pass, but I, I will buy a pass to Berkshire. Yeah. Um, I will always buy a pass to Berkshire. And uh, yeah, Andy pass, if not. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. There's a lot of good options and I yeah, think they're doing great things. And I don't want to, and I don't want to like, I struggle, right? I don't like make a big hoopla, but if somebody yeah. asks me about it, I have to yeah. say, like, I am currently beefing with Berkshire East, even though they it's a one-sided <laughs> beef, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's a bad look for them. And I, it, the only reason I say go to John is because, like, I wouldn't say go to Rob Katz if you had a beef with Mount Snow, right? But, right. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, John's a skier. And I, I think he'd be like, dude, what are you guys doing to stop hassling these people? Yeah. You know, I, I think he would I just agree. take care of it. I agree. I agree. And I think that would squash it. But, like, again, I am... <laughs> I am trying not to use the avenue that I've created. I am trying right. to use the avenue that is just me, you know, that I paid yeah. for. And that's, that's the, if this gets back to him, cool, you know, and we get yeah. this problem fixed, cool. But it's just been multiple times. And I just, you know, I've taken friends out for their first ski tour there yeah. and you take them out there and they're like, nah. So like you take somebody out for their first ski tour and this is their first experience. Now, every experience from then on, there is that in the back of their head that like, am I even yeah. allowed to be here even though I paid for a past product? So, so what do you guys do when you get shut out? Where do you go? You just turn around and go home. That's the thing. You get skunked yeah, because no you're going else. that early that you will, you're going that early because you have to go to work. You have things to do, right? Like that's yeah, why yeah, I yeah. go at that time. And it's also point blank safer. Like mm-hmm. there's nobody on the hill except for a couple snow cats and they can see you. Like you're mm-hmm. wearing reflective gear. It's lit versus the alternative, which is in the middle of like, I don't know, like when the school bus gets off and there's 400 kids on the hill right. launching down the hill at the opposite direction and you're coming in a blind yeah, spot. Yeah. That seems so much more dangerous to me than going when nobody is there. Yeah, so it's a steep hill too. It's a, exactly like there's not a lot of real estate. There's a lot of dead zones where you might yeah, not yeah. see somebody and they're coming at you. So yeah, but, for sure. I don't know. Um, well, thank you, Stuart. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you this winter. Pearl Wax is sponsored the Out of Bounds podcast. Uh, they make some of the best and most eco-friendly waxes that are available in skiing right now. Um, you can shop on www.pearlwax.com uh, and save 20% using promo code Out of Bounds. Um, I'll include a link, obviously, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, Pearl Wax is the best. I've been working with them for a little while. Jill and that whole crew over there are amazing. Um, they've got a bunch of new stuff this year, including a pro series of waxes, um, which I just got some, and I'm super psyched to go pretend that I'm a pro. Um, and uh, skin wax. We got some skin wax coming from Pearl as well. Um, I'm just excited to go skiing. Um, and what better way to prep for ski season than using some Pearl Wax? Um once again, promo code is out of bounds. You can go to www.pearlwax.com, save 20% on your first order. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what more do you need than that? Just go buy some wax. Thanks. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through 10-minute segments. We'll have a timer going. We'll have a fun little noise every time. Oh. <laughs> every time we're done with a section, um, and we will, uh, we'll move forward. Let me try to figure out how this thing works. Three, four, five, six. And this is mostly because I've just kind of lived like four to five different lives. So we're going to kind of try to encapsulate all of them into yeah, a podcast? Yeah, if we don't give ourselves a timer, like I'll have a hard time like getting from A to B to C to D to E. Well, you're also making it a lot easier for me too because I can just go in now and be like, here, if you want to know certain things about your life – we can, you can do that. If you don't want to know everything, like maybe people don't care about you as a kid. Like maybe people are only interested in sure. you as an adult. I mean, it's totally possible. But you don't understand me as an adult without the kid part because well, the kid part was so I am strange. suggesting everybody listens to everything. Right. However, it's everybody's choice. That's how people listen to podcasts, I think, anyway, is they just skip around to the shit they want to listen to. Well, I also just wanted this to be slightly different than regular because I'm just kind of like that way with podcasts. Yeah. I just... How can we try something different to see if it's better or worse? Yeah. So there we are. Perfect. 
Um, are you ready? Do you know how to do that timer thing? You figured it out? It's a kitchen timer. I hit I hit start. I think is my 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 move here. Okay, perfect. Uh, hit start. We're doing topic number one. Your youth. So tell me about it. What uh, what's the story? What made it so weird? Where'd you grow up? I got there's a lot of things. Okay, well we got ten minutes. Um, uh, born in Burlington, Vermont, at the UVM Medical Center. He's gonna push the microphone closer to me because he thinks that's what's necessary. <laughs> we'll find out later in editing. Or Ethan will. Um, you know, Northern Vermont kid. Lived in pretty much every town in Chittenden County, some in Franklin County, some in Grand Isle County, some in Washington County. Um, New school every single year. I never went to an elementary or a middle or a high school for more than one year at a time without moving. Okay. Um, Which is a different kind of education. For sure. Um, You learn stuff. It's just not really the curriculum per se. Yeah. Um, Why did you move that much? I just parents so they just were constantly hopping and skipping around that region yeah um mostly because they were getting married and divorced a lot okay so they were trying with to each stay. other no they never did that back and forth with okay. each other a second time but my mother and father have each been married and divorced four times no kidding so that results in a lot of moves because you have the like we're getting divorced move which is kind of urgent and then you have the, oh, now we're going to settle down in this new lifestyle move. And then you have the, oh, I have a new boyfriend or girlfriend move. Mm-hmm. And then you have the, maybe we should settle down with that new boyfriend or girlfriend move. And then you have they're getting married move. And then you have they're getting divorced move. And then you have the, oh, I'm trading between parents move, which is also happening mm. often. So it was just a lot of moves um, around, you know, one region. It was all kind of, you know, within 40 minutes of any direction of Burlington, but a lot of moving. And that was from kind of, you know, zero to 12. Um, and some skiing in there, you know, Smugs, Bolton. Yeah. Stowe, Sugar Your parents Bush, were you know, big skiers or no? Vermont. Hmm? Parents were big skiers or no? Dad was a medium skier. But none of them were like, this is my life. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I went a lot with just school groups. You get on the bus, you go in yeah. the afternoon. It's daycare. That, yeah, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit of that. Um, but liked it. Um, was just getting good enough that I could kind of chase when the Delorier brothers, you know you know that name if you're from Northern Vermont, were kind of making their way, but spending still a lot of time at Bolton. So yeah. I'd see them and I'd chase them and, and couldn't really keep up or whatever. But, you know, really liked skiing. And then when I was 12, um, my father and his fourth wife decided they were moving to Boulder. So this is, what year is this? Let's date myself. 1991. Okay. And, okay, we're moving to Boulder. So then we moved to Boulder and rented. How many minutes? We moved for three minutes. Seven left in this early time. I got to speed up. <laughs> um, moved to Boulder. And then, of course, oh, we're going to rent a place. So I'm, yeah. at, I'm at one school. Oh, now we're going to buy a place. Now I'm at a different school. Oh, now you're going to high school. Now you're at a different school. So in about two and a half years in Boulder, it was in three different places. Yeah. Um, but this is basically when my father and his fourth wife decided they were kind of just like bored of parenting me. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of bored of being parented or just being dragged around nonstop. You just kind of grow up pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you learn to figure it out yourself. So, you know, by the time I was 12, I was biking to soccer practice across town and going out on a Friday and coming back on a Sunday night. Were you in trouble a lot? No. I, I no, I hung out with some people who got in trouble a lot, but I was, you know, 12 or 13, and I looked like I was 10. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of hard for me to get in trouble. Um, 
but we were definitely up to no good. I mean, we, we, at one point we filled this guy's car up with, with crickets. I remember this story from early high school, put about like a hundred crickets and stuck them in some dude's car. For I don't what? even remember why he pissed us off and we filled his car with crickets. That's amazing. Um, you know, that was a thing that we did <laughs> back in Boulder. Um, you know, stole my first cigarettes from a bum up on the hill in Boulder. Um, cause they had open campus so we could leave during freshman year. So we'd, we'd get up to no good during lunchtime. Um, I talked to Powell about this one. I mean, I, I made fake report cards a couple times at Kinko's and then got them passed off as correct because that's what I needed to go skiing. I needed to have a certain grade level. And if I didn't have it, I would go make a fake report card, put it in the mailbox. They'd look at it, hmm. buy it. Cause again, they weren't really interested in parenting me anymore. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really interested in being parented. Yeah. So that was a couple of years through freshman year and then moved to Vail. Um, father and fourth wife were like, we're moving to Vail. Okay. We're moving to Vail. I was like skiing. Sure. Let's do it. Um, more Edwards just down Valley. Yeah. So that was sophomore year, high school, played soccer with a couple Olympians. Um, cause in Vail you have all those, those skier types. And I was again, trying to keep up with them and stuff like that. Um, up, up on the hill. Um, so what, what year is this now? 94 kind of deal. Um, but this is when, this is when the fun kind of kicks in father and fourth wife. We're moving to Massachusetts mm. after a year or two in Vail. I'm like, I'm staying. I'm done with you guys. This is stupid. I'm not following you people. You're not dragging me across the country again. I like to ski. I can work at a bagel shop and make $13 an hour or whatever it was back, back then. <clears throat> um, so I dropped out of high school, got my GED, signed emancipation papers, became an adult at 16 in Vail with no parents. No kidding. In the state or anywhere nearby. That's fucking ridiculous. I, with, with, with no parents in mountain time. They were all Eastern time. So... You know, this is now 95, 96, and just ski bummed in Vail, 96. Were you ready for that, you think? Like, were you like, I mean, yeah. you grow up, but are you like actually okay with doing that? Do you remember yourself? I thinking? don't really remember whether I was okay with it or not. I mean, you just, I got it. my GED. I scored really well in the GED. It got me a scholarship that I used later. Yeah. After I, I lived in a truck for three years. Occasionally, I'd find a couch or a room that I could rent, but since I was young, it was really hard to get a lease on an apartment kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was bouncing around. I lived in a storage unit for a while, um, but mostly mostly truck and then the summertime's tent. Okay. Um, you know, near wherever I was working at the time. So I did that for three years in Vail in the, in the late 90s. Um, you know, had a pager. That's how people would communicate or people in my situation would communicate back then before yeah. the internet, obviously, before digital cameras and whatnot. Um I mean, it was on the Vail freestyle team um, for a short period of time. You know, Johnny Mosley and Toby Dawson were training. You know, I'm trying to, like, keep up with them. I'm, I'm the little, the what is it, the ankle biter, mm. trying to push them a little further. Yeah. You know, I was a good skier, but never going to really go that far with it, but enough yeah. to kind of quasi-compete with those people for a few years. Um, this is pipe, Park and Pipes just getting going. The, the U.S. Opens in Vail. Yeah. You know, JF, JP, all those guys are coming to town often, but I'm only 17. Right. Um, you know, working at all the, the ski town grunt jobs. I mean, I did them all. Yeah. I, you know, this is ski shops, coffee shops, busing tables, food runner, golf course. Um, but, you know, just skiing every winter, cheap pass, um, living in the truck, and getting told – you know, every night by the older people that I was working with, because I was 17 working with all these 20 somethings who were there after college. I was there before college. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just 
doing every drug in the world and getting hammered and being like, don't grow up to be like me. You know, you still got your whole life ahead of you. Did you ever think those people were cool? Oh, yeah. Like in the time you're like, because I feel like in the the moment. Right, exactly. That's what that allure is, though. It's like that they're telling you don't do it while they're doing it. And you're like, this seems so fun, though. I just wanted to be a little bit older so that I could go to the bars with them. I could get into a few of the bars because they knew that I was like this parentless child. You were going to be fine. Yeah, you were not going to be their issue. Right. I was this weird child adult that was like allowed and couldn't get them in trouble. I did get in trouble a bunch of times with the cops, but they would just let me go because I was under 18 and they couldn't bring me to my parents. So they just didn't want to do the paperwork. So if I got caught up either at a party that was getting busted or or with some illicit substance or whatever it was at this time, they'd put me in the car, drive me around, and then just drop me off. Yeah. Where any of my friends who were still in high school, they'd get in trouble. They have to go to court. Their parents would get involved, X, Y, Z. Me, once the cops figured out that I was just this 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, well, before 18, um, they would just, they didn't want to deal with it. Huh. They, They drive me like five miles away from my car and drop me off and like punish me that way. Isn't it like that's so crazy? Imagine that now. Imagine that yeah. would be like a story. Like if the cops did that to somebody and they were like, "We didn't feel like doing the paperwork. We dropped the kid off." It'd probably be a better lesson in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned that I didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess right, I, dude. That's fucking weird. So what do you do after that? Like, what do you do like as oh, well, a, I, as a kid? Like, I'm still talking kid wise. Like sure. as an adolescent, what like what are your? Do you have goals? Do you have a day to day? Like that part is so crazy. I mean, it was just like, when am I going to get my next shower? Because I'm bad at sleeping if I'm really dirty. Yet you're living in a van in a tent. Yeah, just a lot of humidity. When you're in it, well, never van, a pickup truck. Um, But this was not when vans and pickup trucks were any good. Yeah. So just humidity and a wind up clock. So that's just, I did that for three years. And eventually, you know, some of the people I worked with drilled into my head go to college, you have a scholarship. Oh, that's 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Well, I mean, okay, so we got to go to college. You have a scholarship after that's three months good. of ski bumming. So that's let's, pretty, let's reset for 10 minutes. I'll use that to get to like next chunk of time in life. So stop. 10 minutes. Start. All right, next next chunk of time is ski career. So okay. let's talk ski career and let, like the highlights, the yeah, important yeah, let stuff. Me, so, I mean, if we start kind of where I left off, which I can do, I guess. So I go to um, Steamboat, Colorado Mountain College. Okay. That's where I have my scholarship from scoring the GED. This okay. is now probably 1998. Okay. Because um, I remember I was there when Columbine happened. <clears throat> okay. So when I was a freshman at Colorado Mountain College, Alpine Campus Steamboat is when Columbine happened. I remember that because um, I was in Colorado. Um, did that for a year and was at Steamboat that winter. I was snowboarding more that that year because I didn't have any ski equipment. But all my classes were in the PM. I got you know another season of lots and lots of turns. So this is like my fourth year of as much powdered skiing and riding as I wanted in Colorado. Um, and then at that point, you know, kind of re-reached back out to my parents. I'm like, yeah, we'll help you with college if you move back east where it's in-state. So mm. that brings me back to Massachusetts. All right, I'll go to school in Massachusetts if, if my parents will help me with it. Right. I did the one year in Colorado on the scholarship. Right. Um, back to Massachusetts. Went to UMass Lowell initially, which was a bad call um, because I went for atmospheric science. I was going to be a weather guy, mm. or I thought I was. Yeah. But I hadn't done anything other than like ski and smoke weed for four years. Yeah. So the math was gone. And you were like, oh, this is perfect. Being the math a was guy gone. Makes absolutely. 
<laughs> well, no, 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 because you need tons of math. I understand. Yeah. So I, I, I was physics and chemistry, and I was and I walked onto the D two soccer team yeah. after again just kind of smoking ganj and skiing for four years, right. living in a truck. Right. And I made the team basically because I was Rudy. So I wasn't very good. I, you probably don't even know who Rudy is. I have no idea who Rudy, Rudy is. Rudy is a football character from a movie who's okay. like not good at the sport, but okay. has a lot of gumption. Gumption, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I was this guy who just lived in a truck um, and had a lot of gumption and practiced really hard, but wasn't very good, but was like a good influence on the other players. So I made the team, but then basically couldn't finish with that major at all. Um, bailed and was like, hey, buddy of mine, let's go to Sugarbush for Christmas. I can get us jobs. Like, just like ski towns are easy. Let's go to a place where I'm comfortable. Go to Sugarbush. Don't go back to UMass Lowell. End up transferring to North Adams State. Yeah. So North Adams State um, is where I met my wife, um, ran the ski club, or started the ski club, ran the ski club, did, did radio, did the newspaper, did kind of everything at that college. It was super easy because I transferred communications. Easy. Yeah. Um, and that's what, after that, graduating in like 03, um, took the job, snow reporter at Killington. How do you get that job? Um, you apply. All the ski areas back then, you know, are hiring the seasonal reporter. person who sends out all the ski reports via fax to all the ski shops. That's this is so 03. Um, again, like the internet exists, but it's new and it's not popular. Right. At this point. It's all about mailing press releases and fax machines. Right. Um, but at that same time, uh, the woman who hired me, Kim Jackson, uh, went on maternity leave. Okay. Her first child. Um, so I kind of became this deputy in a town with no sheriff where like, oh, you're the voice of the mountain and your boss is gone and you're 24. Yeah. You're the guy. And it's Killington. And it's like, you know, so there's a lot of attention on you. And at this point, you know, American skiing company starting to fall apart. And my other boss was Steve Wright, who is, yeah. you know, the man at Jay peak. Um, and has been for a long time. Um, that so, guy seems like such a good guy. Oh yeah. Favorite. I don't know favorite. him at all. He's but. like, like I'm uncle Alex. He's uncle Steve to me. Yeah. You know? I That's love that really guy. That's really funny. Um, so yeah, so one year Killington, the, you know, it was a wild year. I had a, God, this horrible Pathfinder. The heater was broken and we couldn't fix it. So we just installed this other heater that like was totally illegally wired. And, and so I'd, I'd be driving to the mountain at five in the, at five in the morning with like no heat yeah. in Vermont in February. Yeah, in the car. Terrible. That sounds awful. Well, it's not just that you're cold. It's the windshield. So half the time, my head is out the window because there's no defroster power. Um, that went on. Um, I mean, this is, you know, again, 20 years ago still. So it's like hard for my adult brain. Yeah. Um, but got so much overtime. I was hourly and I was working like 70 hours a week. Oh, I also was doing dial-up... Um, Dial-up weather. I was going to grad school. I tried to keep doing the weather. Okay. Um, I went to grad school like that. You know the dial-up sounds. Beep, burp, burp, burp. Yeah. I was going to college via that dial-up sound in that same like oh three year. <laughs> but again, I had to bail on the weather again because they were like, "Here, we'll make you a full-time employee." You know, at that point when you're an hourly, you're like, "I want to get into marketing and I want to be full-time." Right. I don't want to be part-time seasonal. Right. So they offered me the job communications at Atatash, like the smallest in the ASC group at that time. Um, so moved to New Hampshire by this point, you know, my, my wife and I are starting to kind of, you know, live together more. She's had like just finished college one year later than me. Yeah. Um, comes and joins me in New Hampshire. She starts working in the high school. I'm at Atatash one year there, get offered of Sunday river, three years at Sunday river doing the communications for them. Yeah. 
Um, and this is, you know, basically when I made the, the decision that, you know, changed my life for better or worse. I don't know. Yeah. Um, cause we had built a house in Maine. We had, you know, my wife was working in the, in the school district, you know, at this point I'm like 28, whatever it is. Um, I got a job offer to go be marketing director out in Oregon at Mount Bachelor in mm-hmm. 2008. I shouldn't have taken it. Yeah. You know, hindsight 2020. Um, you know, that place was just going through hell. Yeah. Powder couldn't get out of its own way with its decision making. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I can solve this problem that nobody else can solve when I'm 28 in the other side of the country. Like, nah, not, not that really. youthful. No, you're just going to go and take the bullets for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and Boyne, Sunday, you know, Sunday River just gotten bought by Boyne. Boyne ends up being a really stable operator. You know, at, at that point in, in Maine, I had one really good boss and one really bad boss, and I just needed to wait out the bad one who eventually left. Yeah. Um, the good one who's still there now, Nick Lambert, who runs everything marketing for for. He seems for like Boyne. a good guy also. Great guy. Um, and, you know, had I not taken that job, would I still be working the ski industry for Boyne or somewhere else? Very possible. Yeah. Um, you know, but taking the bachelor job, did that for two years, was kind of like, you know, ended up being the off-ramp for me. Mm. Um, you know, may not have had an off-ramp if I had stayed where we were in May. Yeah. So at this point, looking back on it, I'm kind of glad because I dig what I've got going on now. Right. Um, but also it's like that was my main career for almost a decade, you know, for my whole upbringing. In the moment, did it feel like a bit of a failure? Like did it feel like I'm like frustrated to the point that I couldn't make this Absolutely. happen? You know, I was bummed, um, you know, for a good period of time. Okay. Um, you know, and I kept entertaining going back into the ski industry. I, you know, was getting headhunted left and right, flying across the country for interviews. Yeah. But it was like, do I want to move my family to northern New Mexico and take this job? Do I want right. to move my family to here and take that job? And that resort might get bought or sold two years later. And then we might get, you know, I started right. looking at like the industry and the opportunities in that track from the same prism as my childhood. Yeah. Which was like, I want to stop moving. Yeah. I want to stop moving. I want to give my family the ability to put down some level of roots and not be just constantly hipping, uh, hopping and skipping and jumping all the time. Well, and it's nice because you have that opportunity to cut that. Like you had that as a child and you experienced that, right? Yeah. And like you have all the bad parts of it in your head. So right. you're like, I don't want my kids to do this. And so ever. as I got further and further away from, you know, the, the marketing gig um, out in Oregon, I just was like, you know what? Maybe this is for the better. Maybe this is for the better. Maybe this is for the better. Because even if I stayed... Um, I have so many friends that came up with me at American Skiing Company yep. that stayed in skiing and stayed in marketing, and they just kept getting moved. Okay, They were in Mammoth, and then they were in here, and then they were in that, and that got bought, and that got sold. And and they just kept having to jump and jump and jump and jump um, and getting laid off and then getting rehired and moving across the country and just nonstop. And, and they've a, a lot of them have left since, um, but a lot of them tried even longer than I did to stay in it Yeah, um, because it was you know what they were good at and what they knew and where their friends were. But, you know, that was through 2010, moved back to Vermont. We have our first kid. You're looking at this, this, this diagram to our side here. That was basically our RV trip from Oregon back to Vermont. We lived in that thing for four months and, um, went back to Vermont, got a job doing marketing for a government contractor. But really what I was doing was all the communications for Ski the East from that building. Yeah. So I was, you know, the third wheel of Jeff Jeff and Rooster for Ski the East while doing marketing for a government contractor. Ooh. Adam just dropped his headphones. And Early some punch. Ice, some Early punch. Broke. We got a minute left, We right? got a minute. We got a minute Perfect. on this My one. timing on is dead career. on right now. I don't know. We're, we're at 2011 to 15. So 
just helping Jeff and Rooster. And this is how I feel like a lot of people know you, by the way, is right. through this Ski the East bit and yeah, like yeah. through doing communications there because that grew, that blew up so rapidly, I think, during that time. Yeah. Like it was just like, it, they know who the crew is, They gave right? me the keys and I did what I could with it from 20, 2011 to 2015. Yeah. And, you know, on the sales side and the communication side. So, you know, we were doing a ton of increasing resort sales of their gear and shop sales of their gear at during that time frame. Um, it did that through 2015. Um, but, you know, that, again, kind of, I can only put so much time towards it. And they needed more. They needed full-time right. young people. Right. Um, and eventually we flipped that switch. I moved on. They got full-time young people. Dong. That was 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay, so that was skiing. That was a decade of college through ski career at four resorts. And let me reset this. How do I do that? Reset. Oh, we got to take it back up to 10. There we go. Um, <clears throat> so now we're skipping to current life a bit. Yeah, I'm going to try to. Yeah, I'm and gonna, we're going to talk about the fact that you're a landlord. Um, yeah, I'm an industrial scale landlord now. Yeah, so that's one of the craziest things about you to me is that you are running like a basically. I'm still a ski bum. You're a ski. You're but I'm an industrial scale landlord ski bum. Not only a ski bum. You are the cheapest of ski bums. You are like fucking showing me your SPKs from 2007, telling me you want to upgrade to a 2010. I'm only so, a cheap ski bum because I've stopped skiing and I don't need the gear anymore. And dog. I do this other sport. Oh, God. Mostly. Okay. All right. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a we'll minute. We'll get to that okay. in a minute. Um, but yeah, no, I am a, I, I am a, when you meet me, you think this person lives through skiing and works in skiing and all this other stuff. Yes. I used to. <laughs> It's still in my DNA. You're but. the prime example of how you shouldn't judge people based on the gear that they ski, though. Because, like, I mean, you're one of the better skiers that I've skied with. Like, and I'm one of the better skiers that most people have and skied you've with, Adam. N- and you never ski. That's no, the thing. Anymore. Adam and I were talking about this. Adam <laughs> X and I were talking about this literally yesterday because we, I was like, dude, it's so obnoxious to me that he's that good at skiing. And he's basically just a child who never actually skis. Like, he never actually skis. He's just a kid and just remembers how to do the same motions that he did from fucking 20 years ago. And it's insane. That is so crazy. If I don't ski for six weeks, I'm fucking garbage. Like, if I ski every day, I can figure it out. If I don't ski for six weeks, I'm back to being trash again. I couldn't do it, like, I couldn't ski hard and well for an entire day. But, like... <clears throat> you know, hour That's and a half, two hours true. before my before my That's my cartilage starts yelling at me. <laughs> you know, it feels true. like I'm 17 again. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to restart the timer. Restart it. Yeah, okay. I had to get that, that bit fine. in. That's fine. I don't even know where we left off there. Okay. So 2015, um, Jeff and Rooster need full time youth in there. I'm telling them that they know that I can only do so much part time. Um, and at that point, I started taking on some of the landlord situation. So um, sieged out of that, started a side project with a podcast in 2015 that I don't even want to talk about, but 31% of the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) And, you know, at that time, my brother and father had started investing in these apartment buildings. Okay. My father, you know, needed to be very retired. Yeah. But he's the only one in America. My my other, because my brother's in France. Yeah. Still is. What's that? Still is. Yeah, he's in France right now. He bounces back and forth between the U.S. and France, but it's gotten weird with COVID. It's harder to get back and forth. Yeah, some yeah. of his family is 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 in Europe. He's okay. In the States. Long story. Weird. He's basically like a miniature kind of Elon Musky character who's, you know, a genius but not super good at tying his shoes. Kind of. Got it. Kind of understood. Combo. Yep. Um. And. You know, my father starts reaching out to me for a little help. Hey, Alex, you want to get involved in this a little bit? And I start, you know, understanding what it is they're doing. My brother wants to buy more of these buildings, but we need somebody who's in the States. 
preferably who has his same last name, so can act on his behalf very easily with his money and with his, you know, mm. um, outlook with, with lenders and insurers. And, you know, if I didn't have the last name, I wouldn't be able to basically kind of be him in America. Right. My job is to kind of handle his business in America. Yeah. When he's not here, he's in Puerto Rico, he's in France, or he's somewhere else. Right. Um, but we started investing in these, you know, between 100 and 200 and 300 unit apartment buildings yep. in 2013, 2014. I took over kind of oversight of all of it in 2015, 2016. Um, and we've grown from, you know, having less than a handful of these things. Now we got 21 in nine states. It's pretty You know, ridiculous. almost 3,000 apartments. Um, you know, I got about maybe 80 people that work for me across the country. That's so insane. And and you would never know talking to you, by the way. No. Like, you're wearing fucking the most ridiculous outfit that I've ever seen. You wear the same outfit I, every day. Same outfit it's every day. It's like, you would never guess that this guy this is, is running, yeah. like, fucking however many employees and however many apart like props, the emails dude. that i was dealing with from eleven thousand feet an hour ago yeah um we're dealing with an adjuster who we've been working with for the last nine months on you know this two million dollar insurance claim from the texas winter storm damages that hit in february <laughs> i'm working on it for nine months um and you're answering it in a fold-up chair in the back of your minivan yep. uh at eleven thousand feet at eleven thousand feet right below a zone that i ski all winter long on plastic foot sleds you are fucking ridiculous I okay anyway slightly. any anyway <laughs> so so yeah um so it's a prison um I will have to do it for the rest of my life because my family's counting on me, our investors are counting on me, and I own little pieces of all these buildings. I've bought into them. I own 2%, right. 3% of all these properties. Right. So, you know, that's great. I work for myself in that way. I work for my family in that way. Yeah. Um, but I will never escape it. I have to do it till I die. Yeah. I'm already thinking about which one of my kids is going to deal with it. Yeah. You know, and my daughter's actually already come on a work trip with me. She's 11. She went last year. Um, she just goes and tests out our playgrounds and checks yeah, out make our sure they're pools, okay. Make yeah, sure they're okay. Snuff, yeah. she, she gave me so much shit for the amount of cigarette butts that were on one of the <laughs> playgrounds in Ohio. Um, and then the manager, like in the next weekly report, she's like, "Kalen would be happy to know that we picked up all the cigarette butts on the on the playground um, oh at this property in Ohio." Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm dealing with you know lender compliance, state agencies. Um, Tenant issues, which, mm -hmm. oh my God, there are tenant issues when you have this many tenants. Holy mackerel. It's everything. It's a what slice of America. Okay, so what's like, if you had to pick a tenant issue that you're like, this is the story I tell people when I'm like, this is few, not for everybody. Yeah. Well, we, ha we had a guy who thought the television in the community center was possessed. He took it off the wall and he threw it in the trash can. Okay. Um, it was a big flat screen. Pretty standard stuff. <laughs> so that happened. Um, we eventually, you know, a, a lot of our properties are senior housing, but it's independent. Okay. So what happens is they're aging in place and eventually they, they, they shouldn't live independently. Yeah. They, you know, it's just natural process. <clears throat> and so, but that process happens with lots of occurrences. Sometimes people think there's voices. Sometimes they think the television needs to be thrown away because it's possessed and it's communicating with a higher power. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a variety of things. So th that's always a, you know, a humanitarian challenge in the, in this industry when you, when you're doing senior housing, um, on the, in the multifamily where you have, you know, parents with kids and things like that, it's different. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had a guy who was definitely trying to deal Xanax, um, you know, from the parking lot of this place, but then got high in his own supply, fell asleep in his car, drove his car into the swimming pool while he was asleep in it. Oh my God. And you're and you have to deal with this. Yeah, I mean, we deal with the cops. We we then deal with you know his insurance. Um, you know, we have to get the car out of the pool. 
Um, How do you even do that? How do you get a car out of a pool? With a tow cr- truck? Like, fuck it. No A couple way. tow trucks. Because you, you have no to make sure way. if you drag it out, you will really mess up a lot of the masonry and yeah, the fencing and the landscaping. I'm... <laughs> Um, so you're trying to minimize those. That obviously, damages. he took care of when he was parking it in the pool. Well, he 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 no, he went in the pool and then he ran. So okay. the cops had to chase him. They eventually found him. I don't know um, from the drips, probably. I don't know. There was a Facebook post from the local police department. They made an example out of him. Yeah. Um, that went crazy viral, but thankfully it didn't really relate too much back to like our property. Um, <laughs> but that property has now hired a security uh, outside security. Good to know. Okay. So we've invested in that. Um. We have also, you know, we have security gates at maybe half our properties, the ones that need them. Okay. Um, and one thing I've realized recently, you know, this is, this is where I this is where I enjoy it. It's like people kept bumping into the gates with their cars. Yeah. So they mess up their cars, and that's stupid on them, but it messes up the gate too. I got to pay to fix the gate. Yeah. And they're hitting this thing monthly, knocking it off the track, breaking it, just just jacking up these big expensive gates. Yeah. And it's like ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars a year maintenance because people keep running into the gates with their own cars. So I'm telling my people like, okay, we need reflectors, we need LEDs, we need speed bumps, we need all this stuff. I'm like, put a freaking nine foot eagle yeah. with red eyes on the gate so that people see it and they slow down. Like I'm just like, try anything. And what ended up working the best was, you ever heard of the phrase defensive boulders? Yeah. So we just went and bought boulders and put them right on the edge where people would bump into the gates. So now they just hit the rock. Oh, God. <laughs> and they fuck up their car and they hit the rock, but it doesn't hit the gate. And this is working great. I'm doing it nationally. So I'm constantly just guinea pigging things. One other thing that I'm testing in, in Virginia is like CVS style vending machines. Uh huh. So instead of like just candy and soda, I want everything in the CVS checkout line. So you got toothbrushes and soap. Toothbrushes, and soap, condoms, batteries. Nail clippers, oh, sunscreen. Oh, that's genius. Just I love everything. that. I really love that. I want, and, and so I'm testing it at one location in Hampton, Virginia for seniors who don't want to leave, yeah. don't want to drive as much. And if that works well, we'll roll, roll it out across the country. Where are you finding, can I, we should talk about this after because I need to buy a vending machine for the store because I want to put tubes in it. Dealing with vending machine vendors, they, they are so flaky. Yeah, but it. like, can you just like buy a vending machine on Craigslist? You can and do just your stick own, it yeah. On? yeah. If you want to deal with it, yeah. Okay. That's a good thought. Okay. That's fucking bizarre. It's so weird to me that this is a thing that you actually enjoy doing. Because I, maybe I was on conference calls all day yesterday. I'm going to be on them again most you of the day You seem tomorrow. fairly happy like doing this. Yeah. Because you're fucking free, well, I guess, I, I, right? I can Well, because of what we're going to talk about in, in one of the next sections. Yeah, you can do your stuff. Um, you know, I am never working and always on call. Got it. Um, okay. I, I can never disappear from my desk for an entire day. Yeah. I can't just peace out. I can't take a day off. There's no such thing. Um, yeah. but I can, if I want to get on an airplane and go to, go to Idaho to ski for four days, I can do it. Just got to bring my computer. I can literally do anything. I just had to bring my computer with me yeah. so that I can deal with it two, three, four, five times a day. Yeah. But I mean, when you work for yourself, you don't get days off. Like I feel like right. everybody knows that maybe, but like, yeah. I, I don't get days off either. It's like, I'm off a lot from like working my job, Yeah, but you're working all the time. I was like writing orders at 2 a.m. last night. Like it's not, it, you just. Well, I don't even have to do that much off hours because everybody I work with is bank hours. Yeah, so that's actually a good point too. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, all the lenders and trade? insurance people, they all just peace out. The only trade thing that still happens the tenants. For... The, the, the tenants don't take days off. They're catching things on fire and, yeah. <laughs> and you know, stabbing each other and stuff like that, you know, regularly. You know, crime is just, when you're housing 2,800 Households that means yeah. you're housing 10,000 people, and these yeah. are folks that you know work at the supermarket or work at Walmart or don't work. And 
And, you know, that slice of America just has, you know, a percentage of crime ongoing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in general, we have good staff. I take care of my staff. And, you know, between 95 and 97% of our residents pay their rent. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You should talk to Ethan about this and see oh, how high but... his is. Like, I bet his is much lower than that. That dude has an issue every three days, I, I feel I like. Bet. No, I can't imagine being a small-scale landlord. That would drive me crazy. He's um, getting up there now. I shouldn't even be talking about his shit, but, like, he's getting up there now where, like, he's got issues for sure, but his biggest issues are, like, putting the people in place that he wants in place as opposed to, like, the places he bought and having to live with a tenant that, like, never paid their bills. Yeah. That seems to be his biggest struggle these days. And I don't know how much of a landlord he actually is being. I think he's just being a buy the place, fix the place, make it nice, sell it to somebody. Okay, okay, flipping. Um, sort of. It's He keeps them for a while. But. I love the surprises. I mean, yeah. we had one event that got out of control because we had a Rod Stewart impersonator at a senior property. Oh, that's amazing. Who was just too good at his job, and the women were all over him. And, no and it became kidding. like he became molested by some of our residents because he was just what they loved his Rod Stewart impression oh and God. singing so much <laughs> that like things got out of hand and like that bubbled up to me and I had to deal with it a little bit. Um, you just can't predict what's coming tomorrow from yeah. this, you know. And, but it's 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 good, bad, and it's ugly. There's some really ugly shit that bubbles up that I have to deal with, and I'm constantly being sued for like trip and fall and things like that because yeah. every lawyer knows I have insurance. Yeah, you know, we have just cockamamie frivolous lawsuits left and right, and I've learned to not worry about them because we're insured for it, and it takes two years. Yeah. And then they, they sue us for $3 million, and then they th- three years later, they have 4000 Right. Insurance pays for it, and it's over because it was bullshit to begin with. Right. Um, you know, occasionally, if we are at fault for something, then we deal with it, and, and, you know, it's not that simple. Right. But 99 out of 100 are just like, I just get served. I get a ding-dong doorbell. And it comes here. My house. Oh, yeah. That's My hilarious. address is the LLC of record, or is the address for all of our LLCs. We've got 21 of them in, in That's nine different states. Um. Huh. And that gets to a little bit of why, you know, I'm not AK. I'm the weird foothill guy. All right. We need, yeah, we need to move on to that. I'm not so, AK. I'm the weird we, foothill guy. So, yeah. so people have wondered like, okay, what, you know, what is, yeah, what is this a bunch new? Of reasons. Okay. So I think before we get into weird foothill guy, I'm going to hit start, hit start, but like we have to mention, okay, start. you hosted a podcast for a long time. That was very good. Yeah. And you quit doing it. And yeah. now you've changed all of your social handles to WFG underscore den. Yeah. Um, because you are weird foothill guy, Denver, because you like to go ski on plastic skis <clears throat> in places that people do not ski, like the park we were in earlier. They do not ski there. I am the only person tracking it out. Yeah. And it <laughs> seems ridiculous and it seems but you finally kind of I'm understanding it. it. Yes. Oh, for a while yeah. I was like he I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why he's doing it, but right. honestly, I think your the way that you make turns on those skis in powder only and how much fun you have doing it and how quickly and efficiently you do it is so ridiculous. So, talk to me about why why you have back. I know you're never going back and it's kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> most people right now are buying touring setups. You are buying more no, I'm not buying anything. You're like setting up market. Yeah, but you have like a demo center in your garage of market. You know where those where those bindings came from? They came from the dump. Okay, I understand that, but you have a literal demo I center. Have four, at your I have house. four pair. If people around, you know, the Golden Boulder area want to um, go try this, you know, want to try it, they are more than welcome to join me. I have two or three local friends who have joined me quite a few times. I have a number of people who have said they will and have never yet, but might later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's what, weird. Why why do you do this? Why do you like it? What's the Well, so when moving to Colorado, so you mentioned the podcast. Obviously, it was Wintry Mix. I've <clears> ceased <throat> doing it for now. There may be a random rogue episode four years from now if I get inspired. There's gonna four be a random rogue. Yeah, know. it's gonna happen this year. I still I own the damn feed. I can do what I want with it, I but I have no it interest is. right now. Yep. Um, because so many people like yourself are doing it well. And I don't I don't mm. care to just be in that space. You guys are doing it great. You don't need my help. You Stuart, <sighs> it's just different. Powell, Warner. People want me to. You know, if you didn't mention names, Warner and he listened boom. to this, he'd be so mad at you. Boom! Got it. Dude, so- <laughs> everybody, everybody deserves the props. Everybody's doing such a great job. Um, Adam X, you have improved amazingly. Great yeah, job. Thank you. Um, and the so that was started in Vermont with Vermont Public Radio, but this is like 2015. Yeah, there was like no podcast back then. Yeah. Um, comparatively, and that was fun for me, and that was kind of my off ramp from Ski to East. Now we have moved to Colorado, so we moved to Colorado for a bunch of reasons family. We wanted to raise our kids in one place, not move again. Um, you know, so we're climate refugees. I can live wherever I want. This airport's better for me, for my work. Yeah. I can go on a direct More flight central. to almost everywhere we yep. go, everywhere I need to go. Burlington, Vermont was two flights for most things. Yeah. Um, and I also just live a healthier lifestyle. I'm on my bike a lot more here, 10 months a year. You look very fit compared um, to- My back was really going bad in Vermont, stuck up on a dirt road, you know, at my desk all day. Yeah. Now I'm just more active throughout the day. Yeah. Um, between work sessions. Um, so I'm in Denver, but Denver has downsides. Yeah. Holy cow. So I don't have to deal with commuting, so I don't have traffic. But everybody else that lives here, they live for traffic in lines. They love it. I mm-hmm. don't understand them, but they love it. They live for it. They're going to do it this winter, next winter, the winter after that. They're going <clears> to <throat> bitch about it, but they're going to do it again and again and again and again and again. They're going to fight for that powder and they're going to lose, but they're going to yeah. do it again. I am not. <laughs> I'm not going to participate in that activity. Um, Dude, it's funny that you're not jaded, but you are jaded. Like, you, it's like you're, I'm over it, but I'm not over it in the way that most of us are over it where we quit. This has only been inspired because I live here. If I still lived in Vermont, I'd still have an epic pass and I'd ski stow. No, you or wouldn't. I'd be at Sugar no, Bush. you no, wouldn't would. ski stow. It's fucking, the no, line is worse there I than anywhere. Would. I would still, because my, my it's, it would be 15 minutes away and, Dude, 15 and, and five days a week. But no, because I could go midweek. Yeah, I guess. You know, I lived I guess, in Waterbury. I, I could go midweek. Yeah, like, I would enough. not have made this transition. I made this transition because I live in Denver now. And I have access to 6,000 feet of vertical relief that nobody skis. <laughs> and it gets enough snow as long as you use the weird skis <sighs> that I use. And it's it's between zero minutes and 40 minutes from my house. Yeah. My favorite spots are 20 minutes and 30 minutes away. I can go there before work. Um I can go there at lunchtime. I can go there in the evening once the time changes in the, in the afternoon. Um, if it snows on a Monday and I want to ski powder on a Thursday, that snow waits for me. Nobody else touches it. So I only ski powder. I, I, I'm able to go there on a schedule like going to the gym. Whereas everybody else, like the, the idea of like battling I-70 to go to large ski mountains is an all-day affair yeah. that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, I need to be able to just ski powder when I want to, not have it mess up my work day. It doesn't mess up my work day at all because of how close it is. It probably actually improves your efficiency through the day. Like you're probably actually much happier. I bang out a whole bunch of stuff because I want to get out of, I'm I'm going to jet out of here at 11. I'm going to go get 1800 vertical and I'm going to be back at my desk at 115. 
and no one else can do that. No other humans in Denver can do that. I don't think that. no other – I don't think anybody does this, period. I don't think it's just Denver. There's a few other geographies where it would work. I mean, you could probably pull it off in, in, in Utah or in Montana or in, you know, in the East Coast. You could absolutely do it. Um, but I've, I've located the areas that I like to go that are on public lands that have the right kind of up routes for my weird plastic scaled skis and the right kind of down pitch and face <clears> perfectly <throat> north and are close to the road. And I know where the cell service is and is not. And there's nobody else out there on it except for people walking their dogs. And I'm never going back. It's yeah. fantastic. It, it checks all the boxes I want out of skiing and none of the ones I don't. I'm able to do it on my schedule with zero wasted effort, travel, time, um, risk. I, I'm not in any avalanche terrain ever. Um, and I'm skiing terrain that wouldn't be fun on regular equipment. Yeah. Um, so it keeps anybody, even if people find out where it is, like, doesn't matter. You're not going to like it. Yeah. It's going to suck. You got the wrong stuff on your feet. Sorry. Yeah. And there's no threat of it becoming overcrowded. There's none. Like you, there's no, at least in the foreseeable future. I mean, I have a demo fleet and I try to show people it and people who try it and you're like it, it and learn actively, but, but yeah. they, you know, they're just, <clears throat> people are trained and the, and the retail economy is trained on like, these are the ways you ski. You ski on resort or you buy all of this expensive gear for big backcountry skiing to make it safe, um, to make it work. Um, I don't even have to put on a jacket when I'm going skiing. I don't have to put on pants. Because we don't have it, there's no transition. I stay warm in all weather. I'm near the car at all times, and I just do six laps of 300 vert, yeah, instead of one lap of 1800 vert, four times as far away from my house. Um, I'm very interested in trying this. If if Friday becomes a dud, then I will I mean, try. We're going to need at all... least three or four inches to go see that grass spot. Okay, well, I think we're supposed we to get, get that, it. right? We so, might get all it. right, cool. Um, but I'll go at dawn. I'll be, you know, I'll go and bang it out a little bit just to check the box and then yeah. we'll be back at, back at my house in, in Arvada Golden at, you know, 8 15, 8 30. That's so ridiculous. Um, you know, I got kids and like, I would hate, I, I can't imagine parents yeah. who leave on the weekend for the day to go backcountry skiing. Or dragging their kids through I-70, locking them in the car. Daddy, I got to go pee. Sorry, honey, we're stuck on the road for four more hours and there's nothing I can do about it. That's what all the parents do here to their families. It is punishment. It is not – I can't imagine doing that to my family. Yeah. Um, and you're not doing it for the kids either because they're not having a good time. No, you're dragging you're them. doing it for yourself. I, I am never missing from my kids' lives. I only do it – at dawn before they're awake or I do it at lunchtime while they're at school yeah. and I'm never missing my wife. I'm never pawning anything off on my wife. I'm a good parent and good father because of this type of skiing. That is Honey, really I'm going to the gym. That is what this is. That is Except very it is interesting. powder skiing and it is alone Fuck. and there is no traffic and I live in Denver. I can't believe nobody you're converting else can do me it. to this idea. This is and, ridiculous. You know, I got four pairs and you guys want to check it out. You check it out, but it's weird it's not tele skiing. You have to be able to embrace stupid looking skis. Yeah, it's not. You're not getting like the gear shot. You know, like nobody cares. Like it's not a fucking you know fish or tip shot. Nobody. Nope. Nobody cares. You about get the, the powder skiing yeah. sensation, and you get it alone. And if it snows on a Tuesday and you can't get up there till a Thursday, hmm. you get it. It's yours. No one's there. Maybe a dog took a dump nearby. Like that's all that's happened. That's and so ridiculous. It, it, I, so it checks the boxes that I want out of skiing, and I I can't go back. I can't do it. So, and there's not like nobody else really makes this equipment. This equipment well, is no, very no, no. So standardized. Altai, there's this kind of 
scaled like permanent skin short ski on the bottom. And you have no that's in- popular. You have no interest in cross country, right? Like Nordic stuff. No. You're like you have no that None. doesn't do it for you. Nope. Okay. I use these to go uphill on ATV and road and hiking trails. Okay. And then I come straight down really gnarly stuff at the perfect appropriate powder skiing speed. And I lap it a bunch of times and I do about a hundred thousand vert in a winter. And that's I'm gonna try so to beat insane. that this winter. Um, you, you know, usually 20 to 30 minutes from my house, you know, in the suburbs of Denver. That's um, so ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. And people make fun of it because it ain't the normal thing. Good for you guys. It's not even making fun of it. I think it's just that people don't... When you say it the way that you say it, I feel like it's really hard to be hating on it because you're just happy doing it. Yeah. And I think that matters more than anything else. It's always the push and skiing, right? It's like, do what makes you happy. Go ski the shit you want to ski. Yep. But now we're excluding you from that conversation. If, if I didn't have kids and the job that I had and everything else and didn't live in Denver, then, you know, like I said, if I still live in Vermont, I'd have a season pass and I'd do 70% resort skiing. That was perfectly timed, by the way. That was, that was. Do you want that? That was a thing I had for Wintry Mix. I'll give that to you. Oh, perfect. Yeah, dude, I will abuse this all the time. I'm going to fucking, when people are annoying, I'm just going to. But you have to buttons. tell me when you lose it. No, I will not lose it. I don't lose it. If you things. ever lose it, you have hey, to tell me. I have had the same equipment. Keep it with your audio gear. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. And this even... Don't like, bring it to parties. Uh, yeah, no. Why would I bring it to parties? I don't, I don't go know. to parties. I'm an old man. You're <laughs> I I, you're way younger than me. I don't know how to tell you this. What? I am so no, no, old, no, 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 bro. No, no, no. Like, I, when you landed on your trip to Colorado and I had to explain to you that there's a thing called the weather forecast and you should plan around <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That that very much was what happened. That was, that was, that, that was a no, young man move. Well, I was rely I rely on other people when I come to these places, oh, right? God, and, and I'm, I'm skeptical f- of every human on earth. Fucking Mike Polito, dude. I, I that dude. It just had no. And I was like, dude, there's weather coming. What's our? Pl-? It wasn't like you're telling me this and I'm ignoring it. Yeah, yeah. you're telling me this and I was telling him. Right. You know. You, you and saw he it, was yeah. like, and I was aware of it. I was just like, maybe he thinks it maybe doesn't he's matter. An expert. Maybe, maybe he's a he local knows. Expert. Maybe he understands. And that was my assumption the whole time. Because I know this dude, but I also know this dude, and I should have been like, "Yeah, this you, is you gonna get worried change. If, if I reach out to you and tell you, you should be worried." Yeah, for you sure. get to like oh, that sets off an alarm bell. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so so I'm, I mean, I'm doing what I can now with this other stupid thing that I ha- stumbled upon. You've stumbled upon epic lift lines, and I would like to talk about that because one of the most annoying things in the entire universe to me is okay. So this is going to be the last ten minutes, and it doesn't have to be all of this. Stupid handle. No, we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll kind of talk about some final other stuff ten though. Too. This is it. All right, perfect. That's it. Okay. Um, epic lift lines. Why did you start it? Why did you come across this? Why do you like what? What are you doing? Well, ironically, I bought the URL basically right when I had also decided I was going to end the podcast. So it's kind of like my new little hobby. Yeah. Inadvertently, thankfully, requiring even vastly less time or effort. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I bought. I was just like, huh. I noticed the world freaking out about Vail dropping price 20%. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, I own a few other random Vail URLs that I've been hoping they would want for years and never have. I own skiingisepic.com. I own okimoisepic.com. That one is so good. Um, okimoisepic goes to me, by the way, which right, is that still wonderful. to you because I, yeah. I put it there years ago <laughs> and I don't care. Um, so I, I owned those. They were $12. It's just like whatever. Um, and I was like, all right, well... I had an epiphany. I was like, oh, I'm going to go buy epicliftlines.com. Just add to the add to the little group. Because I thought maybe at some point I'd, I'd run into somebody who works at HQ who saw those URLs and would be like, cool, yeah. Um, here's a 
gift card to the to the sports shop in Westminster. We'll take the URLs. Mm-hmm. Like that was always my hope. Was just like gift card trade at their huge retail store in Westminster for a handful of useful epic URLs. Yeah. That was that was always the thing. So I was like, oh, I'll go buy another one. Ten bucks. Who cares? So I bought it. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, I just- Wait a minute. You bought it for 10 bucks? 12. Cost me 12 bucks. Oh, my God. Um, And I was like, and then I went and just, I randomly, I was like, let me go see if if somebody already owns this on Instagram. Same thing. No one owned it. I was like, all right, well, just grab it. It was just like, okay, if I got that, I got that. Let's just grab these things. Yeah. That was in March. Um, And I very quickly realized, like, well, I don't really want to feed this thing. Yeah. I don't want to just, like, all summer long do memes about long lift lines. Like, none of that. Like, that's not, like, what what am I going to do with this? That actually, like- accomplishes a goal. I don't want to just like do funny memes and get followers and meh, yeah. like just not what I want to do with my little, you know, I have a lengthy background in resort communications. Yeah. I don't use it for my job anymore at all, but I'm kind of like, you know, this weird little rogue nation state in skiing. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought about it for a while and was like, you know what? Um, we don't know what's coming this winter. Vail doesn't know what's coming this winter. Mm. We do know that there's a challenge around peak visitation, around mega passes and what they do around peak visitation, around powder days and holidays and weekends. We know that something's, the ship is getting creaky around that issue, or at least I feel that way. You think about jumping in, you're not sure. I have a question. I just want to know, like, okay, we know these are issues, right? Like, how do we, the the problem is, is the immovable object is the fact that those are peaks because of people's schedules, and that's just how it works out in life, and it seems like a thing that is not changeable. Well, okay, okay, so. That's my question, because if I'm Vale, I don't. uh, my, my, My response to it is, I'm not sitting here saying I have any solutions. Okay. I am sitting here, um, though, with a background knowledge of, you know, resorts used to run in a way that managed demand. Yeah. They used to have pre-commitment. Um, you used to have a lesser number of, of season pass holders and a greater number of people buying lodging and tickets. Yeah. And, and they, they, they could look at the season and yeah. they could control visitation peaks and valleys to try to smooth them out. That is something that has always been a marketing strategy in skiing and will always be a marketing strategy in skiing. And it moves up and down. But, you know, how much they are going after that or not going after that. Um, resorts like your friend in Steamboat, that are naturally fly-to, have that already built in. These passes don't beat up those natural fly-to resorts nearly as much as they beat up resorts that can be driven to reasonably. Mm. Um, They have that natural, oh, you got to book tickets, you got to do it in advance, you're going to come if the powder's perfect or if it's not, you're going to come for five or seven days, and that is a naturally modified visitation pattern. Naturally smoothed out, not crazy peak and valley based on a holiday or a weekend or a powder day. Um, so some resorts still have it and it's always been an integral part um, to to a higher extent or a lower extent of resort marketing. So, you know, the mega passes come along and everybody can, can visit. They get that season pass experience and the season pass experience before mega passes was always, you know, the same benefits of like, oh, I can go whenever I want. I can go and it's good. Mm. Drop the hat. I'm good to go. I can go for the morning. I can go for a little bit. I can do this. I can do that. And But the problem is, is that the drivers of that decision haven't changed at all. It's still like, oh, I can go on Saturday. Oh, it's just about to snow. And with people's booking patterns getting shorter and shorter and shorter, mm. you can and weather forecasting getting better and better and better, you can know a week in advance when Colorado is going to be going off 
or when Utah is going to be going off. You can book those tickets. You can book that hotel. You can book that Airbnb. You can, you can do all that. You can crunch the system with a season pass holder base that is now global instead of local. And there, you know, this is not all downsides. Some of that is great. There are many upsides to the mega passes. They are not inherently bad at all. Um, However, they have collateral impacts and those collateral impacts are being felt more and more year over year as more and more of these passes are sold. And a lot of them are off mountain. Yes, there's lift lines. I mean, the, the, the problem with, you know, epic lift lines, it's catchy and people kind of can gravitate towards it and know what it's about. Um, but really, you know, my point is about the overall infrastructure of a community and a region. Totally. You fucking wreck it. Like and, when that happens. you know, these peaks crush the roads. They crush the, the, the services. They crush the totally. staffing. They crush the housing. They are a big driver of the short-term rental boom. Not the cause of it, but a thing that exacerbates it. Um, and it, that's an issue always anyway, without an Epic Pass, right? Mountain they, towns but, are busy. But hey, for some reason, they have, they have grown in unison. Totally, exactly, exactly in unison. Yep. And it's because people want to be able to drop everything and go and live that local lifestyle. And, and people have bought the stuff up and put it in those pools. Yep. Um, when people were booking out in advance and the things were bundled with tickets, they were better off staying at the resort-owned properties. They were better off staying. It was much harder to do as an individual owner because people mm. wanted it bundled with tickets. Now people don't need it bundled with tickets. They already have rentals pass. Proliferate. So mm. those two things are married to each other and they are related. Um, they are not AB, but they are in the same boat, same vehicle. And so all these issues are being exacerbated. So that issue comes back to the staffing issue. Oh, short-term rentals are blowing up your staffing, your, your, your housing um, allotment in your region. All these things are related. These are all collateral impacts to the change in the visitation patterns. And I don't know when, you know, the system breaks down. Southwest Airlines is going through it right now. They sold more than they could sustainably deliver. They were delivering it just barely for a while and then domino effect and the whole thing broke down. They sold more than they could sustainably deliver. And... These resorts, they need the roads, they need the housing, they need the staffing, they need all these things to actually work below them um, or else the system starts to break down. And the people that I care about in my other persona in skiing, you know, I was a local in Vail, I was a local in all the Vermont resorts, I was a local in, New ha- in North Conway, I was a local in Bethel, I was a local in Bend, I was a local in all these places. And even though I was the marketing guy at a lot of these resorts and some of the locals loved me and some of the locals hated me, like... I care about them and I want them to be sustainably marketed um, so that people can live and enjoy themselves and not just feel constantly under attack. And so that gets back to, so this handle exists. I'm not publishing much with it. I wrote a, I did that letter yeah. a week or two ago that kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, but the letter was, was very, you know, st- intentionally written to say, listen, Vale, you guys are geniuses. Yeah. You are geniuses, Vail Resorts. You are in a leadership position. You yeah. have, have done things that no one thought possible in this industry. Use your brain trust next to address some of these collateral impacts. That's, yeah. I, and, and I don't know how you do yeah. it. I trust you to do it. And I think if they can acknowledge the word capacity, which yeah. they haven't done yet, no. my goal is twofold with this, with this thing. Vail Resorts, people who are hearing this, twofold. I want you to say the word capacity out loud. I don't want you to do it now. I want you to wait till after the season. Okay? I Let the train go off the tracks. And number this two. This needs to break. 
It's and, going and to you're break. doing it. It's breaking. 50% more okay, passes. That was actually... No more COVID. No more reservations. Whatever's going to go wrong is going to go wrong this winter. Okay, that was my question because I think the same thing. And my big Something's prediction coming. was I like, I is. think it's going to be a problem. I mean, you're already seeing it. Killington had a strike Something's overnight coming. from you're, snowmakers. You don't have enough like, staffing. People, yeah. they, they, they can't staff. And way more people are coming all at the same time. Yep. And they've sold 50% more. And they have a product that does not manage demand at all. It drives um, peaks that... Yeah can break towns, can break roads, can break the mountains if the mountains are staffed appropriately. And the lifts are expensive Band-Aids. New, brand new lifts, they're nice, they're pretty, they'll help a little bit around the edges, but they won't solve the inherent problem of that these communities and these regions have capacities they can handle at one time. I don't think you can get around that. And I I trust Vail to solve that if and when they acknowledge it. Mm. And the amount of people that have reached out to me on that profile that work at Vail Resorts, at the resorts, and at headquarters has blown my mind, and they all agree with it. And I don't know what's going to happen, but this winter, that profile is going to blow up whether I feed it or not. And I would like my shopping spree, and I would like you (laughs) to say the words capacity out loud if you'd like it to be shut down. Otherwise, it is the Robin Hood that is going to be challenging you, Vale Resorts, to solve the collateral impacts of your amazing product. You are geniuses. You can do it. You like innovation. You have a new challenge to innovate through in the years ahead. That's the one you went with? Perfect. <laughs> That's the one you went with? Dude, I think it's, I, I really, I think this is the year everything. It's the fan. I really, I think it's coming. I didn't feel this way. I felt like last year was going to be a struggle, yeah. but this year it's like you saw what happened last year. You have all the information in your hands. Yeah. How can you not be preparing for a, a severe capacity issue? I mean, I, I think it's also very possible that, like, um, even though they don't say the words out loud and, you know, because they kind of can't with their current sales strategy, that they see this coming and they kind of, you know, just feel the fiduciary duty to their shareholders to find the ceiling. That like they're going to sell until they break it and then they'll take a couple steps back. But I, I think their goal is to just spread people out then again. Like why wouldn't they just go buy a new thing that they can spread people out a little more with another epic product that goes somewhere else? Like why, why wouldn't oh, that no, be absolutely. their solution? Well, they can, well, so I, I, that's what I'm saying is I think they will start to address this in years to come, but they have to basically... It can't be just that people are grumpy because of long lines. They have to physically break the system to be willing to address it. So, what does that involve breaking the system? I know we're over time, but we got a couple minutes of overtime. I mean, I think, I what, think what that means is if they if they deal with this season with fifty percent more passes and thirty percent less staff, um, is that what you think the number is going to be? Thirty percent less but staff. That's just a theoretical. Fifty percent more passes is not theoretical. They were forty-two percent more a month ago. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm, um, that I know is real. That's why I'm asking. But the amount of job postings and the challenges, you know, the VAX requirement is going to make it harder to hire. They're going to have plenty of people who just don't want to do it because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, I'm obviously very pro. You know, everybody should get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. If yeah. you're not vaccinated, you're you're not on the team. But that's going to make it harder to hire. Yeah. And the challenges of every entry-level business being struggling to hire and the challenges of people not having places to live, what that does to hiring. So I just, I have seen what it looks like 
in this part of the country. I live here at this I-70. I'm Weird Foothill guy because the system is so broken getting to the mountains. Mm. If you could reliably get to and from the mountains consistently without, you know, a hour and 20 minute trip being four to seven hours, right? half the time, I would probably do it a lot more, but you can't. If you live here, you either have to leave at three in the morning. So many people do it. They leave at three in the morning. And they come home at crazy hours and they're just, their whole life is blown up to pieces trying to navigate around the, the fact that too many cars are trying to go up I-70 to get to Vail and Beaver Creek and Breckenridge and Keystone and a couple Alteras. You know, at the same times of the week, every single day in bad weather. And it's, it's, it's a kind of unsolvable problem other than smoothing out the peaks. And resorts do it. You know, they could absolutely um, create a, an epic product that was more day limited or that had some pre-commitment component to it or that was, you know, a bigger tier between midweek and weekend. They, they have a million different levers to, to work with, a million levers. I'm not going to tell them which ones to pull. Um, but at some point, the collateral impacts of that pass will, I think, cause them to do something um, it, because the Forest Service might force them to. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the next step for Epic Lift Lines is, you know, once that thing's got 30,000 followers and I, it's, it's going to be designed to show the Forest Service what's going on in the places they give permits that like, hey, you give this person a permit to do this. Yeah. Do you think that we're going to have, this is just the thing, like uh, daily... Daily season passes. I know this maybe not makes sense phrasing wise, but like, okay, you want to go skiing on Tuesdays? Here's like, you know, you have Tuesdays off for the season. Sell season pass product that is single day. Like, does that help that problem or does that fix like? It could. I mean, there's, I, I just there's think no like, end to the, to the innovative possibilities. To, yeah, you have to figure out a way to limit people and what they can do in, in terms of their options because otherwise they're just going to go on those peaks. But I can tell you when I buy a five day pass, like a weekday pass, I can only go weekdays. So it's never an issue for me to go on the weekend, right? So, but it's so cheap to buy a full Epic Pass yep. that most people will just end up buying it even if they don't need it, right? Like, I never need the weekend days except for maybe one weekend a year, you know? Why Why would I go and buy anything different, though? Because that one day a year is going to cost me $200 fucking dollars to go ski fail, you know? like Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether they're simply using calculated misery as their, yeah, maybe. As their control of it. Where, I mean, yeah. having been a Stowe local... That road, there's only one way in and one way out. Shit's you know, the road is is where this is the key issue. The access points, whether it's I-70 or a small access road. Yeah. And they can only handle so much at one time. And Stowe is becoming gridlocked every single weekend from Interstate 89 to the mountain. People are getting off or getting near Interstate 89 at 7 a.m. and getting to the mountain at noon and there's no parking. Mm. And... They're heading into a year with less staffing and 50% more passes. And do they just never consider that? Do they never utter the word capacity? Maybe. There's no but chance. But like, I think local governments and, and national permit issuers, like the Forest Services and things like that, at some point, <clears throat> um, it is a solvable issue if they choose to. Um, and they haven't chosen to yet. And I think that's fine. Um, you know, we may need the to see. Hot right it's now. like. Rock bottom, you know, darkest before the dawn, you know, we need to hit rock bottom. And this is the year that we might hit some serious rock bottom. And I think yell I think 
encouraging them to innovate because they're geniuses is the proper talking point versus fuck Vale. I think right. the people yelling fuck Vale should stop saying fuck Vale. They should get on board with me and let well, me that's tell what them what makes to say. Me, that's, because yeah. Vale Resorts is going to accept a challenge because they're geniuses. Mm -hmm. They're not going to listen to people saying F you. They right. are going to listen to the grander general public saying, Vale, you're great. You've done great things for skiing. Yeah. You've done great things for mountain communities nationwide. Here is your next quest. And that is something that I think can penetrate the halls of headquarters. And I've had people reaching out to me from headquarters saying, wow, you're right. We struggle with this. Mm -hmm. um, it's not ready to be talked about at the top yet, but maybe soon. And I just want to tell Vail Resorts, great job. You are amazing innovators in a leadership position. Here is your next quest. I don't think you can ignore it. And maybe they can, maybe they can't, but I think positioning it that way is the mm -hmm. way that the skiing public, if they care about it, um, is more likely to get them to accept that challenge if they see it as an innovation opportunity. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think the fuck fail is kind of ridiculous. Like every, everybody says it once in a while, but it's they do so much good, like so much for the industry overall. Yeah. Skiing is a hard business. It's and very if difficult. If they can keep all these places running sustainably and invest in them, then amazing. that's gold. Then amazing. All they have to do is just take 5%, 10% of their brain power and look at well that's that's the, why it's the, important the to acknowledge effects. right that they're like actually they know how to do shit right and that's yep. why i get upset is because they have the opportunity to fix shit and they don't fix shit they have an opportunity to make more inclusive programs for kids they have like for people that want to get into skiing right yep. but like they're doing this thing where they're like we want skiing to grow but we're not going to invest in the youth and in the inner city kids and then the kids that maybe didn't even know skiing was an option so they're not doing that enough and they're also not doing anything to cap it so to me, they're doing this thing where they're in no man's land. We all become it's victims like, of our own success. It's so ridiculous. And they have been so successful with the Epic Pass. And it is so successful in driving shareholder value, which is their North Star, that they um, have a hard time prioritizing anything else. Um, but those priorities, I think this is the year, if the capacity priority can be discussed... This is the year that maybe we can force that word into the lexicon of, of their day-to-day, -day and we'll see. Ask me about that, and then we'll get the hell out of here. Dude, I'm so happy you got rid of that goatee. Really? It's the worst. It's that is the okay. worst. Okay, it is, dude. It is shitty. It's so ridiculous. Well, it, no, that, you I, look I, like I, a guy that wears that hat, though, only. That was when before you have... the goatee went gray. I still have that hat. Oh, the hat is ridiculous. The goatee is ridiculous. This is a, this is a wonderful collage, though. But this, this is, was from Oregon very to cool. Vermont from, like, December to April. This is very cool. I'm so happy you got rid of we the goatee. We lived in that. We got rid of the goatee. We, we, I bought that RV with the oh money from my, my um, Tacoma. Um, my most viewed YouTube video ever is the video of me selling that thing. Walk Eight minutes of me walking around that YouTube video. But it's on my wife's old YouTube account. And she gets these comments still from people who see the YouTube video. Yeah. Um, telling me that I'm a crackhead. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I'm like, I did it really fast. I went through every feature of the RV in eight minutes. It's yeah. like hundreds of features. Yeah. So I tried to do it really, really fast because I wanted people to buy it off Craigslist without having to visit it. Yeah. Because I was in the middle of nowhere, Vermont. So I made this extremely fast RV sales video. It's oh still online. And, but my wife gets two or three new comments every week um, from that thing. But it sold it in like a day. <laughs> and that's my dead dog that people who know me for a long time remember. No more Cappy in our lives.
No more Cappy. He was a good boy. Um, thank you. This was great. You're I think welcome. people will like this, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. I guess I'm going to talk to you in literally one second when I hit this Maybe offline. in like the winter, you and Ethan and Adam can actually take out the demo. <clears throat> yeah, I offered this earlier. Let's see if this actually happens. If you dare. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. That was our episode with Weird Foothill Guy, um, the Lone Ranger of the Foothills, the uh, strange man in the helmet uh, in your local park. Uh, and also our interview with, uh, or my interview, I don't know why I'm saying our, our, um, with Stuart Winchester from The Storm. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I know I did. Uh, be sure to listen to all the other shows in The Collective. Be sure to check the site for weekly updates, blog posts, blah, 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 blah. We got so much stuff going on. I'm so excited. It's going to be amazing. Cool. Talk to you guys next week with Magnus Grenier and I don't know who else, but we'll find out. Thanks. Bye.